The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Critically Acclaimed, the movie review podcast that is reasonably well-received. My name is William Bibiani. <laughs> I am a critic. Everybody calls me Bibbs. Yeah, not, not to toot your own horn there, not to really sell the show. Every once in a while, I realize that our, <laughs> Hooray, title, we're our, adequate. our title is a little hyperbolic. Absolutely it is. I'm just saying. Uh, my name is Whitney Seibold. I, too, am a critic. I write for Slash Film. Uh, I'm I'm the snotty one. Yes, full of snot. Very. That, t- that tends to be my uh, my reputation, I guess. I, I don't know why. I, 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 I'm the one who has a reputation on like Twitter for being all difficult and shit. Uh, but I, yeah, my name is I William think you Bibiani. Just engage more. I don't care about well, Twitter. That's true. My name is William Bibiani. I write for uh, the Rap at Slash Film. Everybody calls me Bibbs. Did I already say that? You did, mother. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> it's been a very long week slash mm. life. And uh, we're reviewing a bunch of new movies here at Critically Acclaimed. It's a catch-up week. We actually missed out on last week. Yeah, so we're we, going to be uh, reviewing last week's... We got some big ones. Gigan- uh, well, maybe not so big. Well, but, that's uh, true. Uh, but w- we re- wide releases, we'll say. Prominent releases. This, uh, this time on Critically Acclaimed, we're reviewing The Flash. Transformers, Rise of the Beasts. Extraction 2. Elemental. Asteroid City, <laughs> Flamin' Hot, and Brooklyn 4-5. Is it Brooklyn 4-5 Brooklyn 45? Brooklyn 45. Brooklyn it take, 45. It takes place in the year 1945. Ah, oh, very well. Nicely uh, and that one has Larry Fassenden in it, which is oh, really exciting. Fun. That's cool. Like a, this like, litany of blockbusters, all these big stars, like, and I zero ooh, in Larry on Larry Fassenden. Fassenden. <laughs> if you don't know who Larry Fassenden is, uh, he's a horror filmmaker and producer who has hmm. been... Um, He's a, a really a really? champion of of uh, low budget horror cinema. Yeah, like may, maybe not as uh, as sung as he should be. Maybe he's mm-hmm. a little maybe unsung well, to his, many people. But his if, movies are only okay as a director. Like I he's, like Wendigo. I think when, Wendigo's when, excellent. Wendigo's good. Yeah, I'm what stopping is there. <laughs> okay, just, just so we're clear. <laughs> That's the end of that. Uh, he, Wendigo is an excellent film. He I'll produced, go to bat for Wendigo. He produced a really excellent series of uh, radio dramas called Tales from Beyond the Pale, and he plays the like the Crypt Keeper character, who goes by the name of just Fessenden. Like, he's not Larry Fessenden. He's like, this is Fessenden. Welcome to Tales from Beyond the Pale. Well, in any case, we're doing all those movies. And there, uh, there might be some fun to be had. Do you, uh, want, do you want to talk about the Larry Fessenden film first? Or No. Uh, let's stop, let's, okay. We have a format. We're going to do the format, we're going to talk about the bigger films, and then move on into right. the cooler films. Uh, often <laughs> the cooler, not always, sometimes we get a really, really great blockbuster, isn't that nice? It's a pleasant mm-hmm. change of pace when that happens. It's not this time, but we're going to start with The Flash. <laughs> uh, here's what I'll say about The Flash, right? Look, The Flash is is a, is a fuster clock. Um, yes. Th- that's just the most succinct way to put it. Um, I'm startled at how well what's in there works, considering there's so much in there. That's fair. That's fair. I can appreciate um, that. Yeah. 
this was written by uh, at least some of the credited screeners. Probably like eighty screenwriters. This has on this been one, in like but, um, various levels of production since yeah. like the eighties, and then when the Snyderverse happened, this particular version has been in the works for about ten years. Yeah, it's been a long, long time. Long there were a lot of delays. It's been a long um, road <laughs> getting from there to here. Um, Enterprise is, is eh, better or worse than the Flash, depending on the episode. Okay. Uh, but uh, it's the same writing team that also did Game Night and mm. Dungeons and Dragons, and they're comedians. So this has, throughout a long, long portions, kind of a light comedic tone, which is weird given that this is like a th- portentous three hundred million dollar superhero blockbuster. Well, it became an important movie, I think, perhaps more unintentionally than intentionally. Mm-hmm. Um, to, to give a little context in terms of what The Flash is beyond simply a movie about a superhero called The Flash. Mm-hmm. Uh, the DC superhero universe, as we currently know it, started with Man of Steel about 10 years ago. Uh, and that was supposed to kick off, much like the Marvel Cinematic Universe, a wave of interconnected superhero movies. But what they discovered through a... Really long, complicated, it deserves a whole documentary uh, of, of setbacks and unexpected events and some, turns out, some real shitty behind-the-scenes shenanigans. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the movies didn't turn out that great, and only one of them has ever cracked a billion dollars, which for a studio competing with a juggernaut like Marvel Cinematic Universe, where a lot of their movies crack a billion dollars, it's like mm-hmm. expected. That's not what they wanted. Yeah. So over time, they made a variety of decisions, some that ended up giving us really good movies like Wonder Woman or Shazam, Mm -hmm. and some that ended up giving us some movies that didn't work and undermined the brand. They've been really wildly inconsistent. Like a a lot of people uh, like Wonder Woman. I think Wonder Woman is great. Uh, I wish they could. Just to give it a different ending, it would be a really great movie. I, I agree. Um, it's it's like almost perfect, and then they kind of drop the ball at the end. Yeah, I, agree. That, I, I don't think it end. ruins the movie, but it hurts. It, the movie. it like skirts up right up to something really poignant, yeah. and then it turns into like a fight scene that undoes all of it. It's, I, uh, I agree. I don't think it kills the movie, but it is a fair critique. Yeah, yeah. Um, I love Shazam. I love yeah, the great. the sort of I idea that superheroes are supposed to be like fun fantasies for little kids mm-hmm. that's a big part of Shazam that well, I really well, like well not ignoring um, the actual emotional reality of being yeah, a kid and exactly. I thought that yeah I agree I think Shazam is one of the yeah. best I love Birds of Prey I know you're not a huge fan not a big fan. fan of Birds of Prey I uh, love it's, it's the- a good I've said this before. It's not a great superhero movie. It's a good stoner movie. Like, if you're super high, that, <laughs> think, that's the kind of movie you I think want. if you're super high or if you've had a lot of pixie sticks, kind of the same thing. Yeah, yeah. I think it is, it's got a wonderful manic energy to it, a lot of great character work. Uh, the fights are really awesome in that movie. Mm-hmm. That's probably my favorite DCEU movie overall. Yeah, I, I think yeah. Shazam is my favorite. Um, it's my number two. But there are some real stinkers in there because yeah. the the Wonder Woman 1984 is really terrible. It really doesn't uh, work. The 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 ones that Zack Snyder himself directed are all pretty bad. I, um, I will I will go to bat for some of Man of Steel. Okay, there's a lot of Man of Steel I really really like, and the stuff that I didn't like was stuff that like oh well you know maybe they can fix that in the sequel and in retrospect mm-hmm. it'll all be better. And then that's the stuff they doubled down with. Yeah, in the yeah. sequel, and so I liked I ended up liking Man of Steel a little less than I originally mm-hmm. did, but I still think it gets a lot of things right. Um, I'm not. I, I've seen every cut of Batman v Superman. I do not think it works. Uh, the Snyder cut of the Justice League, I have to admit, is a remarkable improvement on the original or the bastardized yeah. version that we got. I'll, I'll say this: um, 
they released that theatrical cut. You can tell that, I mean, Zack Snyder had to leave because of a personal family tragedy. Mm-hmm. Uh, they brought in Joss Whedon, who's not credited, yeah. uh, to... I think he's credited write, with the screenplay, actually. I think maybe something. so, but he's, he's not, not a, one of the credited directors. But yeah. he did come in and direct, like, huge new portions yeah. of the movie. Yeah. Uh, and changed it into something with the same story, but, like, a slightly lighter tone. Yeah. Uh, and it feels a bit of a mess. It's but, a total uh, mess. It, it's not unwatchable, but yeah. it is a mess. Yeah. And then they said, no, uh, there was this huge online campaign, release the mm-hmm. Snyder Cut, release the Snyder Cut. They spent $70 million extra dollars to make this four-hour version, and they're equally entertaining to me. Like, <laughs> it's the same kind of story. It's like, you didn't change enough that, to make one, like, remarkably better than the other. I watched them both back-to-back, because okay. I really wanted to get, like, a good sense of the difference. And... I think in retrospect, we I might have been a little overly kind to the theatrical cut. I was kind of uh, forgiving. Like, there are bits that I like in it. Yeah. I don't think it's the worst thing we've ever seen. It It is a total mess. There's mm-hmm. a lot of things about it that do not work. Watching the four-hour cut, there's so much in it that works. There's also at least an hour and a half you do not need in that film. Yeah, right. It's just really holding the pacing back. Mm-hmm. And I also think totally whiffs the ending i think the the, the coda mm. is making a promise for a series of movies that are like, no 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 no. i want what you just did i don't yeah. want that <laughs> you, you just got spent like three movies to get to this this is what i wanted from the justice mm. league and now you're promising me more of like the immature adolescent like, like a, apocalyptic yeah kind of, I, that's not what i that, that's uh, not what works here you're, you're yeah. i just thought that was a huge mistake But and let us not forget Aquaman. (laughs) Aquaman is the one DCEU movie. Like we're not counting Joker because that's a separate thing. It's the one DCEU movie that cracked a billion dollars. That that that's right. That's That's the one. one. The only one. That's Uh, the only DCEU movie uh, that made more money than Spider-Man Three, and that is not even adjusting for inflation. Wow. Okay. Uh, and that's the stupid one. (laughs) It's it's very stupid. I think it's fun, but Um, it is very stupid. So here we are at The Flash, and uh, The Flash is played by Ezra Miller. Uh, look up what Ezra Miller has been accused of. It's, uh, it's some, some pretty... Um, it's pretty rough. Pretty, pretty rough things. It's pretty rough. And, uh, some, that, and that honestly, the movie and... evokes too much of it. Some... A little bit. Now, <laughs> Ezra Miller is a fine and professional actor from what everybody is. I've seen them in several movies in which they are quite excellent. Uh, mm. uh, we need to talk about Kevin. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Perks of being a wallflower. I didn't see that. Yeah, very, very good in that mm. movie, but... Seriously, the litany of things that they have been accused of, some very credibly. Uh, well, it's also it's, just not just accused of, arrested of like bar brawls mm-hmm. and stuff. Yeah, no, no, it's like, it, violent it's, out in the world. Yeah, no, and and some and some of the things are really genuinely troubling. Mm-hmm. And listen, I'm, they 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 say they're getting help. That's great. That doesn't actually necessarily mm-hmm. mitigate it. It's certainly distracting, mm-hmm. and potentially mm-hmm. it's someone you don't necessarily want to support their career because yeah, uh, you know do people really want to work with someone who's going to put them in that position that's so, true uh, you know? whereas the people who have acted with ezra miller uh, have said that they are professional and right. you know, they're, they're doing their job on set so that's why the director is coming out and saying yeah i would work with ezra miller again it, it's a whole uh, complicated how, thing and that's not our that's not our whole job so uh, and just, we, we brought it up yeah but uh, ezra miller plays two versions of the flash mm-hmm. uh the flash fi- uh first of all the flash has sort of a, a trauma-based superhero origin story. Uh, his mother was... And by the way, the character is not non-binary. No, the character is, is Ezra cis Miller male. is non-binary, yeah. but Barry Allen is Barry Allen is cis male. Yeah. Um, uh, so Going to be careful about the... Pronouns, I understand. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So, Barry Allen, when 
he was a young boy, mm-hmm. uh, experienced a tragedy. His mother was killed in, in their home. Yeah, by a home invader of some home, kind. Some kind of home invader that we never learn about. There's like this weird, weird, this weird kind of uh, a plot hole. Yeah. Uh, some people have posited, and I wrote an article about this, that it was Reverse Flash, who is a superhero, a supervillain uh, from the comics. That's like um, a time time traveling superhero who exists to make the Flash's life miserable. L- 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 um, let me let me put this really concisely because mm-hmm. I want to get to a real point. Um, his mother was killed in their house. Mm-hmm. Uh, Barry's father was accused, mm-hmm. and he spent the last 10, 20 years uh, in prison uh, for, the for, crime. For, for a crime yeah. he didn't commit. And Barry uh, became a police uh, like forensic. Forensic, professional yeah, uh, forensic scientist forensic he's scientist. like in the lab yeah. uh, partly out of his uh, motivation to free his father yeah um, well, but the the origin story is and we get to see it reenacted in the mm-hmm. movie is when he was next to a big vat of chemicals like a big rack of beakers full of open mm-hmm. chemicals yeah. uh, lightning comes in through the window strikes the chemicals lands into his body that gives him speed powers um, uh, the, the story of uh, Barry Allen's mother's death has been very important in the comics and it has been told time and time again uh, the television series starring Grant Gustin mm-hmm. uh, which I, I fell off of after a while just because it be- you had to watch like five different shows in order to keep up with it and I just didn't have the time yeah. but I liked for the first several seasons they did that story, and there was a whole thing about it, how it was Reverse Flash or Zoom. I always get them confused. They're two very similar villains. Um, had gone back in time, and like, did Barry have to decide to let his mother die? And the story of Barry going back in time, using his speed powers to go back in time and prevent his mother's death, thus creating an alternate reality... Has been done multiple times before. They yeah. did it in the live action series. They did it in an animated movie, and the anim- and both of those were based off of a comic book storyline called Flashpoint, which was from the eighties. No, 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 Flashpoint? no, no, no. Flashpoint was from like the early twenty tens or late two oh, thousands. Never mind. Um, where he went back in time to save uh, his mother. Uh, and ended up, of course, changing the time stream, and that gave DC one of their many opportunities that they're taking to do a line wide reboot mm. and change everyone's origins. Okay, so. That's the version that they're going with here, and mm. they're kind of using it in this kind of weird meta way. There's a there's a film critic I quite like named Darren Mooney. He writes for Escapist mm. magazine, and he brought up a really good point, which is that The Flash, the movie, is the movie version of the magical behind-the-scenes shenanigans that takes place between, like, two versions of a series in a reboot. Like... There's Batman and Robin, oh, something like, happens, uh. and then there's Batman Begins. This is that weird nebulous middle area, <laughs> and they turn that into a movie. That, that's, and that's, that's a of, good, good way to look at yeah, it. Yeah. So, like, so like basically, we're just kind of like... and th- Which is a weird choice for me, because if you're worried that the previous version of this franchise wasn't popular enough, or just wasn't making the money you wanted, or people just weren't as on board with it... Do you really want to use that as the direct springboard into the new version so that now they're inextricably linked? Yeah, oh, the well, new versions of the character. Well, I didn't like the old version. If, well, it's all new, getting, but no, but they're directly connected. If we're, if we're getting into, you know, sort of studio motivations yeah. here, um, sure, of course they do, because whatever comes next, and if, if it makes more, they can now be associated with that. I um, guess. My point is uh, this. My point is but, it's hard to extricate this movie from the behind-the-scenes shenanigans yeah, uh, because it exists much like the comic book, mm. regardless of whether or not this is a good story, it exists to get us from that franchise to whatever is coming next. Yeah. Uh, this isn't really sort of a what's coming next. They're not setting things up. They're, kind of, well, they're no. kind of like doing a, I think it's sort of like a, a, a grand finale, really. Mm. 
Uh, because as, if you've been paying attention to sort of the studio shenanigans, you know that this particular series is coming to an end pretty soon. I think uh, past The Flash, there's going to be a film called Blue Beetle, mm-hmm. and there's going to be a film called another Aquaman movie, and that's yeah. going to be the end of it. And I, uh, I, but Although it's weird, though, because James Gunn, who's going to be like one of the creative people involved in the new mm-hmm. films, says that Blue Beetle is actually the first film in the new series. Okay, so, they, so that's sort of like the, the but it's but it's not very clean. You see my point? Like it's hard. Like what's the? Where does it begin? Where does it end? I feel mm. like look cl- needed cl- more of a cl- moment. Cleanliness, you know? schmendliness. I'd rather just have good movies. Fair, uh, fair. And, can't argue that. You know, if, if I have a feeling that uh, one of the reasons a lot of these Marvel films are being a little bit less enthusiastically received, you know, fifteen years on, yeah, it's because we've seen behind the curtain now. We know that uh, we're not sort of excited about the next big event. Avengers Endgame kind of took all the energy out. Mm. And when you're not looking forward to the next event, how do these things stand as individual movies? It turns out not great. And I think mm-hmm. if you were to go back and look at the movies with that eye, yeah. you'd find something similar. No, and I think the ones uh, that and, were successful in so, like the wake of Endgame uh-huh. were the ones that did stand up kind of best as individual yeah, films, yeah. like Guardians or Shang-Chi. Mm. Or Black Panther. Black Panther. Is, uh, yeah. you know, it's part of a set, uh, but it's, it's its own entity. It's telling its own tale. Uh, so... I can't speak to what the Flash is trying to set up, or if it does if it does it well or badly. Because no, I don't care. And vague about that. Yeah, actually, um, like you, I wanted like to be like some kind of clear, and then this is what's happening. Mm-hmm. This is where we're going here. Well, the, movie, well, the movie doesn't quite. Get, it, mm-hmm. it, it leaves it up to other stuff to decide, and I'm mm-hmm. like, well, that doesn't really feel like an ending, well, does it? That what, doesn't... what we have here is sort of like a, almost like a TV comedy version of The Flash, because sure. it's, it's light and it's comedic. It's a buddy uh, movie. The Flash travels back in time and uh, and meets his parallel self, mm-hmm. and despite everything about Ezra Miller, uh, they give great dual performance. They're funny. Where um, yeah. at, at the beginning, uh, Flash number one... Mm-hmm. Uh, fine. People keep on telling him that he's kind of greeting, and he is. He's kind of chatters too much mm-hmm. and is a little bit too much of a wiseacre. Meets uh, his younger self, who also has those qualities, and is annoyed by that. Yeah. And you see the two, the one character have an arc while the other character is also having an arc. And that's kind of uh, I think neat, that's actually. actually pretty well put together. I, I actually like that um, at least structurally because mm-hmm. it gives you an opportunity to show how the character has already grown. Like, if mm. the Flash didn't have a sense of moral and ethical responsibility, he'd mm. be the same guy, but he'd be insufferable. Yeah. And here we get to see him sort of, like, try to guide him to where he needs to be. Mm. And that very... Uh, that I'm about to do it. Uh, that one episode of Star Trek, the animated series, <laughs> where Spock went back in time to a formative incident in young Spock's life to uh-huh. become, like, his mentor for a day. Yeah, he, he was his own uncle for a yeah, second. Yeah, yeah. And you know what? One of the best episodes of Star Trek. Yeah. Just period. I would put it in a top 10, at least a top 20. It's great. Um, so these two Flashes now, because they can both... Flash number one has to make Flash number two, so we get to mm. sort of see the reenactment of the uh, origin story, which I think is a clever way to depict it. That's fun. Where it has to be forced. And, yeah. and it has that sort of like fatalism thing, but they kind of joke on it a little bit. Uh, and then they both try to travel back in time again, and find that in this parallel universe, uh, no, they don't travel back. Or they don't. They don't travel no. together. What, what but, happens is they find uh, out that in this alternate universe, Superman never landed on Earth. Yeah. But General Zod, who uh, arrived on Earth in Man of Steel and said, "I'm going to conquer Earth unless you produce Superman." Uh, General Zod does arrive, mm. and in this universe, Played by Michael Shannon, and in this universe where there are no other superheroes, 
they're screwed. Yeah. And so they try to find any superheroes the... they can find, and the only one they can find is Batman, but it's Batman from the Tim Burton movies, and mm-hmm. he's been doing this for a long time, and he's already retired. Yeah. And so uh, that, ooh, I, what are we going to do? I appreciate that uh, Batman didn't retire in disgust or he failed in some way. He just was so good at his job, Gotham right. City is now safe. Yeah, it's that's like, what he says. Like, and, yeah, and it's he, one of the safest cities in the world now. And, yeah. and I'm good. And he's just sort of hanging around eating spaghetti now. That's I, fine. I, 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 I kind of like that about this version of an, Batman. Another thing I genuinely like is um, when we go back to Wayne Manor. I mean, uh, the Tim Burton version of Alfred, played by the great Michael Goff, mm. is, um, died a long time ago. Yeah. Uh, surely of, um, oh, what's what's what was it in Batman and Robin that he had? McGregor syndrome. He, he had McGregor syndrome. Oh, I just, oh, so I just want a Schmodown question. He probably yeah. died from McGregor syndrome. And uh, so, but like he's he's probably dead. It's been a long time. He would be like 120 now or something. Mm. So Wayne Manor has gone to shit. Yeah, he has <laughs> no butler. He's a mess. I kind of like that actually. Yeah, that's yeah. actually a fun little joke. Also, I don't even if, say it out loud. If you're just a imply. if you're a fan of the the Tim Burton movie, there's a yeah. lot of like Tim Burton details. Uh, the first yeah. room that the two flashes go into is the armory that we see yep. Robert Wool and Kim Basinger in yeah. in the first movie. Um, yeah. all, all that stuff's cute. It's uh, cute, but here's the thing that bugs me about it: when we finally do get Batman, mm-hmm. and it's Michael Keaton, and Michael Keaton's very charming. Mm-hmm. You know, like, he doesn't he, he underplays it, which I think. Uh-huh balances the Flash really well. The performances are, are fine in this movie. Yeah, I, I, my only issue with bringing Michael Keaton back as Batman, which, again, based on the premise, you can totally do. That's mm-hmm. not a problem. What do we get out of Michael Keaton as Batman? And I think to myself, of like all the other multiverse like superhero movies we've had so far, something mm-hmm. like Spider-Man No Way Home, uh-huh. which brought back different versions of the live-action Spider-Man, but gave them cathartic endings that their series never had because they were kind of unceremoniously stopped. Mm. Or um, uh, the way that the Spider-Verse movies gives everyone kind of like a hero moment or delves into their psyche. And here, he exists to explain how time travel in the multiverse works, never mind how he knows that. And not even Mm. speculate. Just like, well, we all know. Like, how do you know that? Because <laughs> you were fighting clowns for two movies. That's not really a multiverse story. I don't really get how like, you know, know Like that. weirdos who live in sewers. You don't yeah, know this about is multiverses. A universe, this is a universe where there are no other superheroes. And so this would not have come up. How the fuck do mm. you know that? It, it's weird. Someone has to have the speech explaining how time travel works. I get it. Mm. Making it Batman in this context is kind of weird, but whatever. It, it's a little weird. And I, I appreciate, though, that mm. um, this movie plays by it. Mm. certain time travel rules it has rules yeah it actually like explains why this is a parallel universe mm-hmm. and how time travel works and they use spaghetti as a metaphor sure. which you know physicists do so yeah, yeah. that's fine but uh, uh but mostly what he does he he fights a bit mm. he fight, fights he a fights bit, a bit yeah. he, he doesn't they don't need to like convince him to like suit back up he just kind of does after a day because he has to do it he doesn't have to like it's not like well, Mark Hamill what in, I love in is The that, Last Jedi yeah. where it's about ethics or philosophy yeah. or something or he doesn't have a, he doesn't have an arc he doesn't have anything to do here no, other than I, I, I just have to be Batman again for one more day I, I appreciate he's done yeah. And these kids have come by to ask him for a favor, uh-huh. and it and it ends up in this big miasma of, of chaos. I kind of appreciate that because it mm. highlights how badly the Flash fucked up. Mm. That it, you know, it sort of like brings these people into being, and they have nothing to do in this universe uh, other than suffer. Um, not okay. to, not to give too much away, but um, the film unfortunately does start to devolve after a while. Yeah. Um, the the time travel shenanigans get to be kind of predictable if you've if you know familiar with time travel stories the mm-hmm. special effects are shit they're really uh, not good in this movie and uh, they, I'm, they're I'm trying f- to explain like 
why because uh, when the Flash travels back in time, mm-hmm. I don't know why they had to visualize it this way. Uh, he runs so fast, he runs into an alternate dimension called the Speed Force. Mm-hmm. And while he's in the Speed Force, he's in this sort of like protective bubble mm-hmm. where he can uh, see and he his can entire see, uh, timeline. Yeah, he can see his entire timeline like, from the bubble, of... and they call that like the Chrono Bowl uh, in comic book lore. I've been looking this shit up, okay. and. Um, and they, it's sort of like a zoetrope with a bunch of, like, mm-hmm. uh, operation theater seats. Like, it sort of stretches yeah. up away from him. And uh, there's all of these CGI versions of the people. It's not filmed. Yeah. And they're, like, sort of repeated across. And every time they go in there, they, he sees these CGI versions of these people. And it looks, like, it looks, it looks as really bad, bad as it did 15 years ago. It's like yeah. they're really plasticine. Clearly, things were really rushed. Mm-hmm. There's a scene later on, and I'm not going to get anything away, where... Um, he like sort of looks up in the sky and there's like characters you might recognize. I'll just uh-huh. say that. And most they, of them look really bad. And most of them look really bad. Like the, yeah, some of them are real actors. They didn't get the real, actors, didn't get real yeah. footage. They recreate them in pretty lousy CGI. Like it's, it's, yeah. it's fun but, in concept, but it looks bad. But, but I don't even think it's fun in concept because mm. again, it's another thing where we're going to use the multiverse mm. to show you something that should be cool. But then what do you do with it? Literally nothing. Just look. Mm. And I'm like, that's a slideshow. That's yeah. not actually a storytelling. That's not incorporating the, anything into the narrative. That, for me, is incredibly disappointing, especially after everything we've had lately. But but then other than that, even there's uh, the big climax, the big action-packed climax, and you can mm. see it in the trailers, is this giant fight With between Zod and his army and, the, and, and the, our heroes. And this sort of like makeshift Justice League. Yeah. To to the Flash's Supergirl. We didn't even mention Supergirl. Well, it's one of those <laughs> things that, like, I'm pretty sure the screenwriters probably would have preferred that to be a surprise, but they've also ruined it in all the trailers that are trying to get you to see it. I mean, she's on the posters. I know. Uh, super, uh, I, I, Sa- Sasha Kaye is yeah. the, the, the actress's name. And, yeah. And I, I call this she, the, She's fine. Oh, she's she's, got, she's oh, really okay. good. Uh, I call that the Terminator Genesis effect. Oh, where right. They have to tell you the twist to sell yeah, the movie. You, your, yeah. your story is based on... The selling points of your story are twists, so you can't advertise it without showing it yeah and thus the audience is ahead of your movie even the first time they see it and can get really impatient and i think it's a when you're making a movie at this level when you can't let people be surprised it's something you really need to be more cognizant of because it hurts the film yeah maybe not maybe it doesn't like ruin it but i think it kind of hurts a little bit but uh this big giant fight looks terrible it's in the middle of a flat desert with just a bunch of beige sand, and there's... Oh, well, I, I, pre- I see that they're trying to go for, like, a certain kind of clarity, so they're well, trying to keep clutter out of it. I, I don't mind keeping clutter out. Mm. I also appreciate that I feel like this might be a bit of a response to the criticism of the end of Man of Steel, which is, oh, you got all the civilians killed by having this fight in a giant yeah, city. That, that, was, is, that was why they had that... Uh, the fight in one of the Avengers movies, um, mm. Civil War. It's yeah. like, it's this gray, empty airport. Sure. It's like, nobody's there. Okay. Yeah. I get there's it. no, not a lot of features to get in a, in in way visually, what, what and there's no people at rest. What upsets me about that is this is filmmaking at a massive scale. You have a lot of money. You have a lot of. You should have room for more creativity than that because the your only options are not giant crowded city and flat colorless like desert. Yeah. <laughs> Those are not your only two options. You could have done a million things. You could have said it in Metropolis, but said we evacuated the city because we knew aliens were coming. Boom, now you got everything. You don't have to worry about it. You could have set it into in a more interesting geographic location than just the fucking desert. A million things you could have done. So we're just watching people float around a plane. There's not a lot of foreground elements or anything. And I kept thinking about the ending of The Fablements. <laughs> where David Lynch plays John Ford and he explains 
the only rule you need to know about filmmaking, which is that when you're filming a movie, when the horizon is at the top of the screen, it's interesting. When the horizon is at the bottom of the screen, it's interesting. And when the horizon is in the middle of the screen, it looks like shit. It's, it's, and I was looking it's, at this. It's boring as shit. It's yeah. boring as shit. And I'm watching this action sequence and I'm just like, are they going to put the horizon in the middle of the screen? They do. The whole, Almost the, whole the entire thing, time. Yeah. Well, I mean, you start paying attention to that, you'll see most filmmakers do that. They kind of my keep it either in the middle or slightly My, my point is this. They have so they gave themselves so few ways to make it look interesting and they took none of them. Yeah, it's in terms of like film this is uh, directed by Andy Muschietti mm-hmm. who uh, did a really interesting looking horror movie called Mama. Mama's great. Uh, a, 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 another big sprawling mess of a movie two of uh, the two part it movies. I, uh, I will go to bad for it chapter 1. I think mm-hmm. that movie's really really great. Two is a mess. Granted. Yeah, there's uh, part part 2 especially. Yeah. To part be part fair, 1's a little tighter. To be fair, uh, the, it doesn't have a good ending anyway. Like yeah. that's no one's figured out a way to adapt it so that the ending works. I, I feel like Andy Muschietti was saddled with something just enormously mm. messy and complicated, and yeah. kind of can admire how well he availed himself. Yeah, I mean, but made, the film, he, the movie turned out. You know, the, like, the, the film itself merely turns out, though. I yeah. think there's some fun stuff in it. I think I like the the sci-fi conceit, and I like I said, I'm kind of astonished at how well a lot of the disparate genres kind of interlock sure but it still is a bit of a mess uh, a lot of the special effects look incomplete uh, a lot of the story isn't handled with a great deal of wit or cleverness it's mm-hmm. like a kind of time travel story you might have seen on a saturday morning cartoon um i just think i, I just think I, it does I enough wish, with its premise yeah exactly i, I wish the there was a little basically hey remember that batman yeah, yeah cool hmm. and uh, hey there's also another version of a super person okay cool they're gonna get to do something i have a couple of cool conversations yeah, re- remember when All we right. watched uh, infinity pool Yes. Uh, yes. It's a Brandon Cronenberg movie, and uh, the premise of that is uh, it takes place in a sci-fi universe mm-hmm. where uh, these rich Americans and Europeans go to mm-hmm. unnamed Central, Central American country, country yeah. and uh, when they are there, if they are caught committing a crime, they have to be put to death. But they found this way to uh, the people have found a way to pay, like bribe the officials mm-hmm. who can clone them. And kill the clone, mm-hmm. but because of the condition of this, they have to witness the murder of their own clone. Yeah, What's uh, their clone? And the clone has and, uh, to be completely cloned, even their personalities. So yeah. they think they're real, and uh, and so the the clone is murdered in front of them while they're wailing for their lives and screaming in pain. And when they witness their own clone getting killed, they essentially transform into like hedonists. Yeah, it's like yo, there's wow, no consequences. There's now. no consequences. We just yeah. watch ourselves die, and I'm immortal now. And. Uh, of course, over the course of the film, that happens a couple of times. It finds, okay, mm-hmm. well, I'll just keep on committing crimes, just watch my own clone die. And uh, and they give you an urn of the ashes, so you can kind of collect a keepsake of your previous self. Yeah. Uh, little little twisted. Not as twisted as, as I would have liked, frankly. No, I, uh, it's, a, it's a fascinating premise that yields an opportunity for the filmmaker and the characters to do literally anything consequence-free. Mm-hmm. And there's so many different possibilities in and, just the idea they, of creating your own mm-hmm. clone. And all the they movie, do is, like, they, have, home invasions. they do home invasions and have an orgy. It's like, well, you could you have, could, you could you have could do an that or- anyway. I was say, you could just have an orgy. There's like, there's no, so uh, many different things. There's yeah. so many, like, it opens this giant can of worms. And then it just takes then one it, worm, and it just says, hey, worm, what you have to today? Yeah, like, Not much. Great. That's and, your movie. And I've described the premise to you, and you think the ending is going to be, okay, you're going to look up, and there's going to be a wall of urns. He's done this hundreds and hundreds oh, and hundreds of times. Cool. No. No. The ending's that's really not the way it ends. It, it the, ending of, is basically, out. the ending is basically, you know, boring, rich, 
personality free guy was insecure mm-hmm. about his manhood. Yeah. Like that's what the less. movie is mostly boils down mm-hmm. to. And I'm like, you gave us that many opportunities, that much potential mm-hmm. to tell a story that I've seen better handled in Hallmark Christmas movies. Yeah. There's like, a, mm-hmm. there's a really wonderful uh, TV movie. I think they remade it called the lathe of heaven. As well, I've never seen that where I've, the, I've the, the premise is uh, a fellow can, whatever he dreams comes true. Yeah. And so somebody tries to manipulate the dreams. And that goes wild with its premise. I would hope so. It like starts altering the fabric of reality, changing the, the very nature of humanity and Earth. Mm. With a time travel movie with a superhero who mm. can run into the Speed Force mm. and you know start monkeying around with time, with yeah. timelines. Okay, first of all, resist that temptation to start throwing in cameos. Don't do that. Yeah, because that's what they do. Uh, Start really mucking with the timeline. Yeah. Like you, you wind up in a timeline and now it's dinosaur people. You wind up Couldn't in a timeline and, and now there's like, oh, you're like, what, what's going on? What's going on? Superman was just killed by a gigantic mantis. Where'd the mantis come from? I don't know. Okay. I gotta fix it. Like, yeah. Do something really wild with it. Yeah. It's that, and it, they don't it, do that. It's got the same uh, they, they problem. Kinda, they, they do it in a truncated form Very truncated. And, and it happens super fast that the conclusion feels really unsatisfying. It, it ironically reminds me more than any other movie of uh, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Another multiverse which, which promised thing. we're going to go through a whole multiverse and it's going to be mad. And then there's a little brief montage of them going through some cool looking universes mm. and then they end up in a universe that's kind of similar to our own but a little bit more futuristic and then we meet some cool characters who die instantly and then he fights a bad version of himself and then the movie is over and i'm like okay i'm not saying there wasn't some neat stuff in here but you didn't do a lot with the premise i was also gonna murder an innocent girl and then he gets off the hook for that yeah yeah. But like, <laughs> but like again, you you had infinite potential, mm. and you found the the, uh, the one story you could tell that doesn't maximize that. And I feel the Flash had some unfortunate similarities with that, mm. where you have infinite potential, and then you ended up with a movie that takes place ten years in the past, so you don't even really need to change any of like the production design. Mm. Um, there's the characters that you do meet are only focused on solving the new problem of the plot. We don't really know what they're about or what they're, you know, a little bit more with Supergirl than we than with Batman, but still. And we just never capitalize on what we had here. And ultimately, all the movie amounts to, for me, is we got through it, and now whatever is left at the end of this movie, whatever changes have been made, I'm not going to ruin anything, but whatever is different now is where this franchise is. And I'm like, I don't need to see that movie. I can just see what happened next because you didn't actually well, if, do anything in this movie to make me salivate mm-hmm. and think, oh, I can't wait for the possibilities because it's not well, that okay. many, actually. Well, uh, again, I'm, I'm not concerned with what it's setting up or leaving behind. I think, it's the, just, I think it's the raison d'etre of the movie. So mm-hmm. I think it's something oh, that you should well, discuss when you talk about whether or not it works. I, I suppose so. What I'm concerned with is what works here. I think sure. some of it works and some of it doesn't. I think yeah. um, there's a lot uh, a lot more intelligent a story that could be told with this, this particular set of characters and superpowers that it doesn't do. And it kind mm. of whiffs the ending. It's really messy to look at. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of troubling in certain scenes. Yeah. Um, depending on how you feel about Ezra Miller, you know how much you can look at them and, and, and sort of be comfortable watching uh, their performance performances yeah, plural there's a few uh, scenes that are a little too close to, to like to, to so, what Ezra Miller so, has been yeah been accused there's, a, of. there's a few that are uh, kind of troubling and, and it's a little distracting 
Uh, I, I, I don't think it's a complete wash, but it's not terribly interesting. Yeah. If this was a film that was made for a much lower budget, mm-hmm. like, uh, you know, think of something like Eliminators, one of those great old B-movies mm-hmm. from the late 80s, where they clearly had a really low budget, and they were, mm-hmm. it's like, oh no, I have Eliminators, we have this time travel guy, and he's yeah. part Mandroid, it's like, okay, but we're gonna film on a river. Yeah. It's like, they don't have a lot of budget. If that, The Flash was one of those. Uh-huh. It's like a TV episode. It's like, well, of course he's only going to go back in time. We don't have that big a budget. This is a $300 million blockbuster. They have the resources. There's really no excuse. What's funny about that is two things. Uh, one, again, they did do a live-action version of this on the TV show. Okay. So that is available the, the, if you want to see TV that. Show, the new right? TV okay. show. And then the old Flash TV show was written by the people who wrote Eliminators. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, you didn't oh, make, I right. thought you were doing that on purpose. No, okay. <laughs> Yeah, those guys ended up, they wrote they wrote Eliminators, they wrote Arena, and then they did the live action Flash TV show from the nineties. I like all those things. Yeah, they're good shows. Uh, That's a good show and two fun movies. Uh, so skip the Flash, watch Eliminators, yeah, uh, and Arena as well. Those are both good movies. Yeah, and then just watch the Grant Gustin show, I guess, because it was quite good. Uh, arena, the science fiction movie Arena, not no. the not the gladiatory gladiatorial Arena. Kellen Lutz, which is. Oh no! I was thinking of the one with Pam Greer, but yeah. Oh, oh! I, I was going way that. back there. No, no, there's, they did one with Kellen Lutz, and I think Samuel Jackson was in it actually. It was and it's called those, Arena. Yeah, it was like a Running Man kind of thing, you know, like where you, have, you fight oh. to the death for rich people to watch. No, I was thinking of the one from like okay. like '93. It's got like half the cast of Deep Space Nine on it. No, no, I know, I know the the movie. Yeah. You, I'm, we I'm clarifying talking. for the listeners. Who no, might, I know, I, might be confused when I say watch Arena. Find the, the, the no, I think it's, early '99. It's 89. 89. Right. It's got uh, Armin Shimmerman in it from Deep Space Nine. It's got uh, Mark Alimo from Deep Space, Deep Space Nine. Nine. Claudia Christian from Babylon 5. That was, her, that was the name I almost forgot. Claudia right. Christian as well. Fun film. Yeah. Basically, imagine Rocky in space and Rocky fights a whole bunch of giant aliens. Yeah, alien monster stuff. Yeah, and, like and really a lot, cool lot of fun puppets makeup and shit. Effects, like, yeah, yeah, they're neat. Anyway, <laughs> moving on, uh, we're going to keep going on a sci-fi uh, bent. Right. I couldn't make it out to this. I kept trying, and I got sick, and it was a whole thing. Uh, tell me about Transformers, Rise mm. of the Beast. And correct me if I'm wrong, you still haven't seen all the Transformers movies. I have I have not seen the first or the sixth. I've seen all the of, others. Of the, tra- of the of Michael the, Bay movies. Michael Bay movies. And, I, and I've seen the, anime. the animated film from the 1980s, and there's a couple anime films uh, yeah. that I have not seen as well. Yeah. Uh, I think there's like 12, all told. Um uh, this is the seventh in this particular continuity, mm-hmm. uh, or you know, more accurately, this is the fucking seventh in this particular <laughs> continuity. <laughs> These things are ke- keep on going. Uh, they're based on toys from Hasbro, gimmicky, fun toys. Uh, oh, great toys! Part, the toys are great. Yeah, uh, they're essentially puzzles. Mm-hmm. Uh, you get a truck, and if you manipulate it just right, you can turn it into a robot. And you can yeah. it's a transforming robot. It, it's a fun it's a, idea. It's either an action figure or it's a vehicle, and either way, it's something you can kind of tinker with while you're yeah. watching TV. You just kind yeah, of move it around, and, and, and right. The toys were massively popular. Oh, the yeah. TV show from 1984 that uh, was invented to sell the toys. That's how commercially bankrupt our generation is. Yeah. Uh, and and did a lot you know better it, than GoBots. It challenged the GoBots preceded Transformers, but similar thing. Yeah, the, uh, the toys weren't as good. The uh, that sort of branding uh, has dug so deep into my generation's brain yeah. that we've made now seven gigantic live action slash CGI blockbuster movies out of this stuff. Uh, our nostalgia for the eighty. I was thinking about this the mm-hmm. other day. When I was a kid, on weekends, my dad would adjourn to the living room, sit down in his big easy chair. 
and watch History Channel documentaries of World War II. Okay. And that is not an unusual thing. I've talked to a lot of people who had dads who would watch the History Channel and they would watch documentaries on World War II. Patton Oswalt has talked about this. When you hit 50, you're suddenly interested in World War II. Bada bing. Our generation... Greg Greg Proops has a bit. He's like, oh, you'll, you'll like cars. You'll like German cars. You'll like German cars from like the virulently Nazi portions of Germany. Like, he, he gets really frank about it. I think, our, I kept waiting for my interest in World War II to begin, and that's when I realized our World War II documentaries mm. are YouTube documentaries about 1980s toys yeah, and TV that, shows. That's kind of where our brains got like, stuck. I won't watch um, a documentary about the Battle of Verdun or whatever, but well, I will watch a documentary. Okay. I will, whatever. I will watch a documentary <laughs> about Popples. Right. <laughs> that, that's where I'm at. Popples are important I will, to I will us, watch a 20-minute yeah. documentary so, about Popples, for fuck's sake. Uh... A little bit of a personal story. I had an old coworker. He wanted to challenge me once, and this was when we were working at a movie theater, and we yeah. had some downtime, a lot of time to talk. He wanted to ch- us to challenge each other to a mythology off. Mm. Who could find something they were like largely unfamiliar with mm. and become really deeply immersed uh, in that lore? And you chose Popples? No, he assigned me Transformers. Ah, ooh, oh, wow, uh, that's, a, I, that's a lot. That's a heavy one. Well, I, I thought, oh, that'll, that's easy. They come from their... Of course, you know, the first question is, who built the Transformers? They're robots, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, even if, like, they're self-perpetuating at this point, surely... Where did they come from or, originally? Organic yeah. beings built these machines at some point. Somebody had to extrapolate ore mm-hmm. out of the cosmos. Uh, and it turns out there's this really weird, long, complex theology when it comes to the Transformers. Uh, there were two gods, warring spirits, who... Uh, one was called Primus, not to do with the band. Damn it. I, I wish it was just Les Claypool. <laughs> yeah. I, I, do you think maybe Primus named themselves after that? Oh, well, Primus is just a Latin word. I know. <laughs> no, I don't think Primus did that. Okay. I think Primus is a little too hip for that. I don't know. Um, and the other was called Unicron. Oh, yeah. Primus and Unicron. Uh, Primus was the, the, the good deity, and Unicron was the evil deity. You know that because he was voiced by Orson Welles. In the 1986 film, that was the last thing Orson Welles ever, oh, last ever acted before he died. Uh, uh, Unicron, the evil deity, uh, just travels through the cosmos eating planets and fighting with Primus and over the course of billions of years started to create their own sort of emissaries and envoys and those those that's the Transformers is transforming robots that live on a planet called Cybertron Mm -hmm. I hate that I know this shit (laughs) uh it's pushing out like I I, I have memories from like of my parents that I'm not going to (laughs) remember because I know about fucking Unicron but Unicron is in Transformers 7 Rise of the Beasts uh, Unicron is floating through the heavens. Eating who who plays Unicron? Who's who's this generation's uh, let, Orson Welles? Let me look up the because that's what that means. Unicron. If you're playing Unicron, you're this generation's <laughs> Orson Welles. Well, I hope I hope that doesn't mean this actor is about to die. No, I just think it means mm. they're going to be like celebrated as one of the great auteurs. Um, yeah, actor Coleman Domingo. Oh, that's actually pretty cool. Uh, has won a, a Tony and a Olivia yeah, and a Primetime Emmy. Really talented. Yeah, he's a talented that's really actor. Cool. Okay, he's on uh, Law and Order. You might remember him from yeah, Law and Order. Kudos, Colin Bingo's a great and actor. No, tons of respect. He plays the voice, but you know, it's he plays the voice. Unicron is just a planet, and right. and of course they distort his voice, so you couldn't tell him. Yeah, whatever. Um, Get that paycheck, Colin Bingo. That's all I'm saying. Uh, Unicron needs a widget to travel <sighs> through space and time, and oh. has a has this evil villain henchman named Scourge. Played by Peter Dinklage, okay, uh, to go fetch this widget. It's on the 
planet of robot animals. I don't know okay. where the evolution comes in there. Yeah. Uh, they're called Maximals. I didn't really um, watch... The, it's my understanding that uh, when they rebooted Transformers kind of in the 90s as a CG animated show called Beast Wars. Yeah, this, was, uh, this is very well, early CG well animation. My time. This is very early CG animation. The animation, impressive for TV at the time, doesn't look that good now. I never really watched it. I know a lot of people who will stand by the writing on that show. Right. And that was actually like an unusually well-made show. Oh, I'll so take like they, word for it. My point is that there's a whole generation that really cares about those Maximals. Okay. So like they, they've, okay, they've, well, they've weathered the test of time. All right. The Ma- Maximals are back. Okay. Um, there's a character named Optimus Primal. Get it? Uh, all, all Get of, it? Some of the Transformers have the last name of Prime or Primal or Primus after Primus, right? Because uh, they're and whatever. Do, do, um, do all of the do all of the Maximals have like names of Transformers we know before? But like now they're animals. Like uh, it's Wheel Jackalope. No, they they have or, animal or Bumblebee. Names. Oh wait, where do they have that? One, uh, Optimus actually. Primal. Uh, Optimus Primal is played by Ron Perlman because of course you get Ron Perlman in these things. Yeah. Uh, they flee their animal world, fly through a portal, and land on Earth uh, sometime in its distant past. Okay. Uh, fast forward to 1994, uh, when this movie okay. takes place. So a little uh, bit after the events of Bumblebee. Yes. Which was it's very a- good, by the way. After the events of Bumblebee, which I didn't see, uh, yeah. but before the events of the first movie, which I think takes place in the present, which is 2007. Um, yeah, all those Bunkle Bay ones took place in more yeah. or less the present, but then Bumblebee took place in the 80s. Yeah. Uh, so, uh Transformers and Maximals have been on Earth in disguise. Uh, wouldn't you know it? Uh, Unicron sends Scourge to Earth to find uh, this sort of ma- magical key. It was uncovered by Anthony Ramos. Uh, oh. I, and I like Anthony Ramos. Yeah, uh, from uh, In the Heights. Yeah, he, he's actually been in a lot. He's really yeah. good. He's very charming. has sort of a, uh, a gentle movie star quality, if mm-hmm. you will. Uh, and, and I'm glad that he sort of get, gets to be action hero in this one. Uh, he and Dominique Fishback, okay. uh, she works in a museum. He's trying to make ends meet. His little brother needs a medical procedure, so he's going to break into a museum and steal a thing. Uh, Dominique Fishback is there. It turns okay. out that's the Transformers thing. The Transformers oh, no, come in. The thing. And when the Transformers come in, so too does Scourge. And thus begins a global chase to find the other half of the thing to snap uh. them together, open up a portal, and... Sky beam shoots into the sky and Unicron can come in. Just once I wanted to see one of these uh, things like we all, well, all of the Transformers are here to get the all spark. Oh, it's broken. Well, never mind. Like, it's not like in half and like, it's like modular. Yeah, and they're supposed to, to be like that. It like, no, we just out. literally snapped it in half and it doesn't work anymore. You mm. can super glue it, but it won't be quite right. I, I remember in the dark crystal, like there was a teeny bit missing from a giant crystal yeah, and it didn't work sliver, and they had yeah. to put it back for it to work again. It's yeah. like, you can just snap these things in half and glue them back and it's okay. Uh, apparently. It's like a, one of the Harry Potter wands broke, and he just put tape on it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that well, that, that one, to be fair, that one didn't work quite right afterwards. That's true. That was like, it was kind of a wonky, like it kept mm. backfiring. Uh, and there's, uh, I'll, I'll say this, Michael Bay is just completely terrible at spatial continuity yeah. and editing. Like, he does, everyone says, oh, he really shoots the heck out of an action scene. I, I wish I could tell. It, yeah. It's just like this visual garbage disposal of images. Yeah, the one the one where that like he pulled back a little bit was when the one he did in 3D, uh, Dark, mm. Dark of the Moon. Okay. And it, you can tell, like, even he realized, this is going to be in 3D, I don't want people to puke. Yeah. I need to let shots linger for three or four seconds. And <laughs> the, the difference is huge. Yeah, that movie like, is so much, the action in that movie is so much cleaner than any of his other Transformers movies. Yeah, you, there's... 
you can find clips like here's a 10 second clip of one of the Transformers movies and it's like 50 edits just in there. chaos it's, yeah. it's complete visual noise and uh, this one was not directed by Michael Bay mm-hmm. uh, it was directed by um, Stephen Capel who had previously done Creed 2 yeah Creed 2 it's a very uh, good movie I like Creed 2 I like Creed 2 a lot and uh he does know how to do spatial continuity. And uh, there's a really cool chase uh, with, you know, because they can turn into cars. There's a course car chases uh, sort of down the side of a mountain, sort of like in a James Bond movie on the the zigzag road. And sometimes they're on the road. Sometimes they're tumbling down. They transform into robots. They transform back. And I think all of that's handled pretty cleverly as like action sequences go there. And uh, unlike the Michael Bay films, the design is distinct enough on these creatures Mm. enough Still not great, but distinct mm. enough that you can tell them apart, which is nice. That's nice. I remember that's, the, that's such a low bar, but the, by God. <laughs> the, the Transformers 2, 3, 4, you can't tell the difference between no. some of those monsters. No. And like, just, their colors might be different, but yeah, there's the their green person, one, we yeah. don't really get to know their personality terribly yeah. well. And it's just basically and, uh, like, either you recognize John Goodman's voice or you're lost. Right. Uh, this one, luckily, there are not just notable voice actors. Michelle Yeoh is one of them. Okay. Uh, Pete Davidson is one of them. Mm-hmm. Or Davidson. Uh and they also have distinct personalities. Pete Davidson's like a little bit more of like a hip talking bro. It's like the Michelangelo Ninja Turtle. Sure. As like, hey, fist bump me, bro. Like that kind of character. Whereas Optimus Prime, who's voiced by an actor named Peter Cullen, who played yeah. him in the original animated series he, back in the 80s. I think he's the only one who's ever played Optimus Prime, unless there's like a video game or something. Maybe not. Yeah, maybe so. But yeah, yeah he's, he's yeah, absolutely very, very good at this good sonorous oh, good voice. And he's, he's talked a lot about it. He's just imitating his brother who was in the military. Yeah, he was, uh, was a war hero. And so he wanted and, to and honor was, him. Yeah. That, well, that was the idea. Uh, Optimus Prime is this war hero character. He's a yeah. soldier. So that's all he ever says. We have to fight and we have to stand up and all of these like really portentous things. I wish somebody would just call Optimus Prime on his shit. It's like, you're just going to get us killed, you idiot. Can we not fight? You know, can we just sort of do something that's cleverer than just... What I miss... Oh, no, well, I guess if you're a battle robot. What I miss... (laughs) A lot of these movies are based off of uh, media that was serialized, whether it's television Mm. or comics. When they're serialized, not everything has to be the biggest thing we've ever done. Yeah. And a lot of the things that made me connect to characters like... Maybe not specifically the Transformers. I liked it, but it wasn't my jam. But it made me connect to people like the Teenage Ninja Turtles or the X-Men or whatever. Was the downtime. Hmm. So I want to see Optimus Prime go to a drive-in movie. (laughs) I want (laughs) to see Optimus Prime try tennis. Hmm. I want to see him Hmm. just... What's he like on his day off so I can see what he's really like. Because this whole... Every single thing I say is the opening speech from Batten Hmm. is is a little little dull after a while. I feel about this uh, Transformers movie the same way I feel about that second Ninja Turtles movie, Out of the Shadows. Okay. Where it's it's busy and kind of clunky, but they understood the kind of little kid appeal to it. That Hmm. there's a, a... an inherent absurdity to all this shit. Yeah. Uh, they're, you know, it gives deli- you what you want. Delivered you with know? portent, yeah. but, you know, it's like, oh no, I am a maximal. Oh, I guess you're a maximal. Like, you know, We're just explain, accepting that. We explain don't need what to, that is. We don't need to explain, yeah. There's two halves of this magic key and we have to unite them. Okay, that's Saturday morning logic. Yeah. Like, you don't, of, we don't need to makes... trust that up and pretend it's bit better than it is. Yeah, it's, it's it, 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 it plays in the really shallow pool and mm-hmm. it has fun in the shallow pool. Uh, okay. Yeah, same with Ninja Turtles. Like, the Shredder shows up in front of this brain monster. Oh, you're a brain monster. Cool. Yes, let's team up. Great. There's not even a moment where, 
I'm shocked that I'm in an alternate dimension with brain monsters in it. Yep. You'd think it would take him, like, weeks of, like, climatizing <laughs> before he has a conversation <laughs> with one of these things. No, just after a minute, he's like, yeah, yeah let's team up and take over the world. I, you get that, because that's Saturday morning logic. I like Out of the Shadows quite a bit. For exactly, I like it, too. It's exactly the movie I wanted when, mm-hmm. I, when I was a kid and the animated series was on, and then the live-action movie came out. What I wanted was the animated series in the movie, and the movie mm-hmm. was... Actually, the movie's still great, actually, but it's much more yeah, grounded. Right. It holds up really good, I think. It's actually got some like actual emotion to mm. it and the fights are really cool and the costumes are great but it's way more grounded mm. and it's basically just everything in the world is normal except for these turtles and it's got that very you know just the way new york looked in every movie in the 80s the crocodile yeah. dundee just kind of dingy you're talking about the 1990 film 1990 okay i thought you were the original about the, good uh, 1990 oh yeah uh, that movie was great but that movie came out when i was a kid mm. and the animated series was on and i was bummed out that we didn't get bebop and rocksteady <laughs> all, and Krang all, and, all of the crazy stuff yeah, yeah and we never really got that in those movies because they're, they're special effects well a the special effects and b they wanted the movies to introduce new action figures for us to buy mm. rather than just a sell us different version of that yeah like so instead of getting bebop and rocksteady in the secret of the ooze which they had an engine for, we're going to make two more monsters, they created Toka and Rezar. Yeah. Now I'm watching this as a kid, yeah. I'm like, just be Bebop and Rocksteady, what are you doing? <laughs> That's what we want. But they wanted, they know we already bought Bebop and Rocksteady, they want us to buy different toys. So, we never got that animated kids movie of the animated, we never got the live action version of the animated kids Team Ninja Digital show, hmm. and then Out of the Shadows finally did it. But by that point, they'd already like torpedoed their goodwill, and people weren't interested. Hmm. And it's a bummer because that's a fun movie. So this is that for Transformers. It's like kind of like the good version of the very modest thing we wanted. Yeah. Okay. So it's nice. It, it is overblown. It's over two hours long. Yeah. That's the way these things can kind of go. They mm-hmm. way overdid it on the special effects. <laughs> uh, I wish that it was a little sillier. I mean, it's plenty silly the way it is, but, you know, this is a really absurd premise. I, I, I'm i glad that it, it seems like the filmmakers don't care in the same way that they used to. They're not trying to make this seem like an important myth. Yeah. This is fighting robot movie. Which is weird, because I think that's and, what some uh, people glommed on to. I don't care about the myth of some the Transformers. I, I want a silly I robot fight flick. And this is a pretty silly robot fight. It's... Mm serviceable okay uh and then there's a little tease at the end which people have now talked about openly Mm -hmm. Uh, this film is failing at the box office so like anything Um, to get you to go see it they want you to know that there's a so so they've they've given this away but there's a uh, Uh, mid-credits twist skip skip ahead 30 seconds we'll make it quick if you're Um, if you don't want it spoiled whitney go anthony ramos uh at the beginning of the movie was looking for a job he needed some money yeah Uh, at the end he finally gets that job interview he goes into a back room and uh, he says, yeah, I just want a job, whatever I can get, whatever you mm-hmm. pay. It's like, well, how would you like to, and he slides like a card across the desk, join us with your robot friends. Like, no, what are you talking about? I wasn't having robot adventures. That was all a secret. Yeah. And then the card and, is G.I. Joe. And the card is G.I. Joe. Yeah. It's like, what, would you like to join G.I. Joe? Another Hasbro property. I don't property. care about seeing those things go together. No, no, I don't. I don't. But I know Hasbro wants it. It's... I don't want to see the movie, but it's emblematic of the vibe they're going for. These are toys you're just going to crash together. I suppose. And I I appreciate it when it's just toys crashing together. I can appreciate that. Nothing beyond that. (laughs) There's not a thought in its head otherwise. Well, well, speaking of not a thought in its head, uh, there's a sequel to Extraction. Uh, (laughs) You you mean there's a a stunt demo reel? Yeah. Uh, Extraction was an action movie. came out in 2020 in the middle of the pandemic. And it, it, it it, it filled an interesting niche because... 
at the start of the pandemic, all of the you know the big summer movies were canceled to, un, to until further notice. Yeah, they released a few mostly kid friendly movies. Trolls was the first big. Trolls one. was yeah. the first one that sort of crashed that down. But for the most part, studios didn't want to take the movies that they thought were going to make a billion dollars at the box office and release them on VOD in the hopes that they'll make some of their money back. They wanted to wait, and for some that was a good idea. For some, it backfired. But that was the idea. And so there was this total dearth in 2020 of big giant action movies. So when Netflix released this movie, Extraction, starring Chris Hemsworth as a badass mercenary uh, trying to uh, rescue a kidnapped kid from a war zone. Mm. Um, and it was a big stunt spectacular, like super violent movie. Yeah, yeah. Low budget by, you know, conventional blockbuster movie standards, but it had that blockbuster vibe. Um, I think a lot of people really needed that right now. Like, that was their genre. They didn't have it. Extraction kind of filled that void. And while I appreciated the effort that went into creating some of the major stunts and really long one-take, you know, Mm -hmm. roving around through the building's action sequences in that movie, I also really didn't like that movie. (laughs) Because I thought it was... It's so dour. It's dour. The characters aren't very interesting. The plot... I don't mind a perfunctory plot in an action movie, but... It was just literally just nothing but an excuse for just a long extended action sequence. And then towards the end, they like introduced like a new character. And like, is it going to be interesting now? No, it's just going to be more action. <laughs> there's a time in my life when I probably would have been like super into uh-huh. Extraction 1. I was really interested in seeing action movies that kind of push the envelope of uh, stunts and the amount of action you can fit into one movie. And. The older I get, the more I appreciate that while that can be fun, I really need the movie to be a little bit more than that <laughs> in order to really maintain my interest. Extraction didn't work for me. I know it worked for a lot of people. I get it. I'm not really angry at the movie. It just didn't work for me. So I wasn't super excited about Extraction 2. Extraction 2 begins with the protagonist, uh, Chris Hemsworth. He plays a character named Tyler Rake. Tyler Rake. Like, that, that's like... Airport pulp novel action it, name. It's like that one MST3K episode. That kind of stuff, it's like that yeah. one uh, MST3K episode where they just came up, come up with fake tough guy names like Dick Man Huge, yeah. <laughs> um, Blast Beef Body. That exactly. Kind of stuff, yeah. Like it's just it's a generic tough guy name. Uh, he got the shit kicked out of him at the end of that movie, and it looked like he died. He'd been shot. He fell off a bridge. It looked like that's just the end of it. Ah, oh, bummer ending for an action movie. The movie opens with him, like, washing ashore. Miraculously, he's alive. He's in a coma. He's, like, every bone in his body is broken. He's in surgery. And then the title title of the movie comes up, and it says, In Traction. And I thought that was very clever. That's your pun. That's my pun, and that would have been funny, damn it. That's not in the movie. Instead, it's called Extraction 2. You you made that up. (laughs) He's him in traction. How is that not funny? Come have, on. They should have called it re-extraction. There you, uh, oh, there yeah. you go. But he, like he, he heals, and while he's yeah. healing, we get a little bit of backstory about two bad guys in Georgia, the country yeah. Georgia. The, yeah, not the not yeah. the U.S. state. And uh, they're 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 brothers. They basically run the country. There's a weird backstory. It doesn't really make a lot of sense because we too- flush back to their childhoods. It's right. just a way to pat out the movie. Well, really. Like, you, but here's but here's what they do that the other movie didn't do very well. Actually, is give the villains a little bit of personality so that I'm a little yeah. more invested in them. So there's two bad guys in Georgia. One of them, they they both like they basically run the entire criminal underworld, and then by extension, they run the government. At the beginning of the movie, one of them is free, running everything. One of them is in prison. 
And it turns out that he's not only in prison, but in order to kind of keep an eye on them and control them and ostensibly to keep them safe, he has his wife and his two kids in a jail cell next to him. <laughs> it's like his weird privilege. Yeah. Uh, but at the beginning of the movie, he finds uh, the older brother, the free, the brother who's free, finds out that his brother has been added, had another 10 years added to his sentence. And he invites, like, the Prime Minister of Georgia over to his house. And he says, what did I install you for? If you're just going to give my brother (laughs) ten more years on his sentence. And then he kills the guy. And I'm like, wait a minute. You control the Prime Minister. Just get your brother out of prison. What are you doing? Why are you Why are you trying to make Cl- his time nicer? Cl- why are you just getting prim- him out of prison? Uh, clearly, the, 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 the prime minister who's in control of this crime lord uh-huh. has got a little too big for his britches. Uh-huh. He wanted to prevent that. So he, he assassinates but the prime minister of Georgia. But still, you can get the guy out at any time. Like, it doesn't... They never explain yeah, no. why he wants his brother in prison at no, all, so which is kind of a weird plot hole, but whatever. It, it's it's not a big deal. Tyler Rake and his team of super mercenaries mm-hmm. to break into the prison yeah. and get the family out. And uh, Tyler Rake's connection to this, because he actually has one now, which I think helps a little bit and makes me give a shit, is uh, the the woman in question, the, the mom who's in the prison with her two kids is his former sister-in-law. He was married, they had a kid the kid died while he was off at war and he mm-hmm. blamed himself and it ruined his marriage uh, and this is his way to kind of redeem himself is to kind of heal his wife's family, his ex-wife's family I guess uh, so yeah, he immediately just throws aside all his physical therapy. He's fine now. He was walking with a cane last week, and now he's fine. Which is... He's already a superhero. We're fine with that. I'm kind of fine with it. I I was watching, though, I just did a podcast, um, movie mixtape, where uh, it's a brand new podcast, and uh, the guests pick, like, a movie Mm subgenre, and they talk about, like, one movie, and then we come up with, like, a playlist, like a mini-movie marathon of movies in that subgenre, and... What I selected, and this episode is out now, was straight-to-video sequels, which I think is kind of an interesting sort of part of the industry that doesn't get a lot of attention, you know, the cop-and-a-half twos, that kind of thing. (laughs) But the movie I talked about was a straight-to-video sequel to the Walter Hill movie Undisputed, which kind of came and went. It's a very good prison Mm -hmm. boxing movie, but it kind of came and went, didn't really make a lot of money. Undisputed 3, Redemption, is an amazingly kick-ass fight movie. (laughs) <laughs> it's a really, really great prison mar- mixed martial arts badass movie. But at the end of the previous movie, the villain of that movie lost, and he had his like his knee snapped. Oh, gosh. And at the beginning of Undisputed 3, he's now the protagonist. He's like an anti-hero. And he has been doing like physical therapy on his own in the prison, because they won't pay for that. Right. And he enters the fight tournament to try to like find a way to like, you know, reclaim his honor, and also the the prize at the end is he gets to go free. Um but the movie never forgets that he has a debilitating knee injury and you see him constantly favoring one leg. Mm. If he, you know, the bad guy starts realizing, oh wait, that's his bad knee and they start hitting it. Like, you can incorporate battle damage, <laughs> to use a term from the action figures you used to play mm. with as a kid, into the movie and raise stakes and make it so that your incredibly badass invincible hero doesn't look that badass. So what they do is more exciting. And this movie approaches that and then says, eh, fuck it. Which is, I feel like he missed opportunity. Yeah. In any case, from that point on, once he like says, oh, by the way, we're doing this, he and his team uh, basically go to this prison, and there's a 21-minute... It's not an uninterrupted take. You can see the edits if you know where to look, mm. but it looks like one take. Yeah. And that's an impressive accomplishment in and of itself. Mm. 
And it is admittedly fucking badass. It's really cool. Uh, yeah, it breaks into the, the prison, has to fight his way out through uh, all of the evil prisoners who have also been yeah. let out to fight his way out of a prison riot through a factory mm-hmm. onto a train. Mm-hmm. Where he has to shoot down shooting, multiple helicopters. And those helicopters are chasing yeah. on the train and there's a fight in the engine. And all of that is the camera swirling in. Yeah. You, can, you know it's fake. It all looks pretty fake. But yeah. you know what? It's still pretty cool. I love the way they just choreographed that shot there's a moment it's it's interesting because so much of that shot is actually genuinely impressive and really cool and the fight choreography is exciting and they do a great job of escalating things give taking it down a notch letting it catch your breath bringing it back up again with a whole new threat but we're at a point where i think is interesting where we're getting more movies that feel inspired by video game storytelling Mm. than the other way around yeah and that sequence in Extraction feels like the kind of, like, opening really cool or even closing really cool, like, level in, like, a Call of Duty game. Where all of a sudden you just get in a car, like, okay, you get to be on the, you know, what do you call it? What do you call it? Like, the mounted machine gun? Like, we're driving, oh. you get to shoot everybody. And it's oh, like, right. to your left! <laughs> on your six! <laughs> and it's, and it's yeah. all... If it were a film, it would be one uninterrupted take. Exactly. You're the, you're the player. It's just sort of the action. There's so much of the sequence that doesn't feel like that, but once they get into like the car chase part, and it feels like they're following the cars with what I assume is probably a drone. Mm. Um, some of it's probably CG, but like some of it looks like it was done with a drone. And it's just basically you hear people talking on the radios, but shoot that guy in a motorcycle, and just that guy in a motorcycle gets shot by someone in a car, and it it loses. <sighs> It loses its power when it doesn't feel like we're centering on a person. Okay. When we're centering on vehicles yeah. and, and that kind of stuff, then it just looks like we're watching other people play with toys. But mm. whenever it's just about, like, it's not even so much about will Tyler Rake be able to beat up this bad guy. Mm. I'm looking at it, it's like, oh, how long was Chris Hemsworth able to go without ruining the take? <laughs> like, that's what I want to know. Yeah, well, like, that's, and that's kind of when you're doing those shots, you're just trying to impress people. Mm. When I'm impressed, great. When I'm not, eh, it's still kind of neat. The problem with that sequence, really, though, is that that's at the front of the movie. And once it's done, it's like... It should have been the climax. It should have been the climax, because the rest of the movie is like, well, now what? And there's some cool stuff. There's like a siege on a hotel that's Mm. really, really cool, and they get to like fight them. There's essentially... the movie yeah. exists to just sort of stage those three action sequences. Yeah, there's three that, big that one, action sequences. One 20 minute run, one right at the beginning is uh-huh. the best one. Yeah. Then, yeah, there's the fight, like, essentially in the exterior of a hotel, mm-hmm. uh, where there's a lot of glass shattering and they're yeah. falling through ceilings and stuff. Yeah, very cool. And then there's uh, the, the climax, which uh, yeah, is, like, climactic which case, is which more is... personal than it is like, mm-hmm. you know, stunt heavy. So it's more about just like two guys fighting yeah. than anything else. But yeah, so, you kind of uh, like blew all of your fireworks at the opening of the fireworks mm. show <laughs> and that was an odd choice because as much as i enjoyed some of the stuff that happened later it's all in the beginning it's all in the, it's the whole front loaded it's a weird choice uh if you like if you don't need much from your movies sure <laughs> you need very little from your movies extraction mm. will give you very little um mm. in terms of story and character don't care. Uh, it's, it's better it's, than it's Extraction also, 1. I cared more than Extraction 1. I, I suppose 1. Uh, it's a little bit clearer than Extraction. Yeah. Same director as well, who mm-hmm. uh, was a stunt coordinator mm-hmm. on a lot of the uh, the Marvel films uh, mm-hmm. before starting directing with these Extraction movies. Yeah. Uh, Har- Har- Sam Hargraves, I think. Is his Sam name. Hargrave, yeah. he's uh, uh, And he's been working on like The Mandalorian as well. Uh, mostly on yeah. stunts. And, and yeah. you can tell. And this is a great as a stunt reel uh, if you just want to see that kind of action. Mm-hmm. 
if you're like me, if you think the action is kind of the boring part of the movie, <laughs> probably might be bored to tears. Yeah. Uh, I did like that first action sequence. I think it's kind of cool. If you're yeah. going to do, do a lot of action, at least do something kind of novel with it, make it look interesting and make it clear for God's sake, which yeah. it is. I was grateful for Very that. Very clear. Yeah. Um, but it's almost not a movie. It's just a collection of feels like a demo crashing reel. special effects. It feels, feels like a loosely connected demo reel. And, and you know what? Mm. As I said before, you know, the original extraction, there's a bare minimum I ask for to be invested in your action movie set piece stunt, stunt spectacular. Uh-huh. And extraction one didn't do it. I just didn't care. I can appreciate the level of difficulty and craft that went into its set pieces, but I wasn't invested and I didn't care. Uh-huh. This movie does the bare minimum. And oh, that God. sounds okay. like it, that sounds like an insult, but it's really all I'm asking for is hmm. the bare minimum. I care. I, the protagonist has an emotional reason to be doing this. Doesn't have to be a big deal. Just has to be genuinely invested. So I am mm-hmm. genuinely invested. Great. Uh, the characters that he's trying to save have some personality. They're human beings. Uh, they're the older son he's trying to save is actually really torn between yeah. being rescued by his mother or like betraying his mother and maybe going to see his uncle and he's one of those people in the movie where he just like if it wasn't for you this movie would have been so much shorter <laughs> <laughs> like you're just there to like ruin everything for everybody and you know half the audience is really mad at him even though like they're trying to make the characters like inner journey complicated and emotional and mostly you're just there to fuck up the plot right um thankless job i i feel bad for that kid because that's a thankless job for any actor mm. um but yeah this works it's it's not amazing the action is kind of amazing. Mm. The movie itself, just better than average. But I genuinely like this movie, whereas I genuinely disliked Extraction 1. Yeah. So, kudos. Uh, an Major improvement. improvement. And, and uh, these films are... I mean, net, you never know from because yeah. yeah, we don't know what the numbers are on any of this, which no. is one of the reasons we're having a writer's strike right now. Yeah, you can't you uh, can't negotiate how much money you should be making from a movie if they mm-hmm. won't tell you how much money it's made or how many people have seen it. My guess which they don't want to tell them. My guess is the numbers are really really low, and they don't mm-hmm. want to say that. Because, or they're, uh, or they're invest, high, but people don't finish it. Yeah, you know, like I watched the first half hour and fell asleep. Mm-hmm. You know, which isn't great. I'm guessing that the, the landscape is a lot bleaker than we think. House it is. of cars. <laughs> and here's the deal. If that's not true, prove it. Oh, they that's can't. that simple. They can't. You can just do it. You can just but prove it. They they, re- they reveal their numbers. Everything collapses. I so that, that, that's that's, true. that's that's what they're trying to do. They're just trying to keep the numbers hidden. Like how yeah. can they get out of it? And, and the thing is, if you keep the numbers hidden long enough, because all they've already almost completely destroyed the home video market, hmm. where are you going to go? Yeah, yeah. It's like Abel Ferrara's Body Snatchers. Where are you going to go? <laughs> what you going to do? Here's, here's the solution. <laughs> hey Netflix, open physical. Video stores, <laughs> or at least people bring can back go di- and rent. They videos. literally just canceled their DVD distribution service. Yeah, bring, bring it back. Bring it back. Bring it back. <laughs> bring it back. It's fine. Anyway, um, extraction. Uh, tell me about. I'm my, I'm mad. I missed this one because yeah. one, I'll I'll give any movie a shake, obviously. But um, even though I'd seen some negative reviews for this, a lot of critics who I genuinely respect and admire mm. were very fond of Elemental. Okay. Um, so tell me about Elemental. Elemental is the latest uh, animated feature from uh, Pixar Studios. Um, it's also the latest thing that's a lot of people are saying is kind of getting buried. It's another big expensive thing. Mm-hmm. They used all these brand new computers to achieve mm-hmm. the animation and uh, wasn't marketed in the same way a lot of the, the films mm-hmm. used to be like six, seven years ago. Well, it also doesn't help uh, that it's the, this last summer because it was like the first big summer post-COVID. Mm-hmm. There weren't that many movies to like release and like the 
blockbuster season. Uh-huh. So like you were able to get like Top Gun, then no major movies for like two weeks, and then Jurassic World, and then no mm. major movies for two weeks, and then Minions. Uh, here we're back to the old usual four big movies opening every week, every week, yeah, and you they all can't win. Yeah, and uh, so a, even a good movie or a exciting mm. movie is at least someone's going to make less money than they should. Also. Pixar is now running a little hot and cold. So True. They're, they're coming up with some novel concepts, but not necessarily exploring them interestingly. I felt that way about Soul. Yeah, uh, I agree. Also, Soul is not the kind of film that, like, kids aren't going to get ice cream cakes with the Soul characters <laughs> on them, you know? That's that, true. That, it's, that, not, that's, it's not doing what you know, Disney probably wants Lightning to McQueen, do. that's Toy Story. They can yeah. market that stuff. You can't market Soul. Uh, so, true for a lot of Pixar movies. I don't yeah, see a lot same, of Coco on, ice cream cakes. Onward, death, too, you know? yeah. Onward you know, at least had fantasy creatures. And I like Onward, but yeah. that was that's one of their biggest money losers because it was, uh, it hit was it right, literally opened the right last the COVID, week before yeah. COVID right destroyed COVID everything. And people and were already nervous about theaters. So yeah, it, same it, with, it, didn't have a, it didn't have a prayer. Same with Turning Red. Turning yeah. Red lost a pile of money just because mm, it was that, only on streaming. And that movie was yeah. great. I like Turning Red a Turning lot. Turning Red's yeah. awesome. I like Onward. I like Turning Red. And I like Elemental as well. It's a love story and it takes place in this fantasy universe uh, element city where the four aristotelian elements are anthropomorphized citizens so i love how you air- managed to make that sound really snooty the aristotelian elements well it's there's not like vanadium people talking to carbon people okay, talking that would to, be yeah. the nerdiest movie ever and i would love that i would love to in fact i i saw an interview with uh, peter Sohn, the director and he said that the joke for Elemental came when he looked up at the periodic table when he was a kid uh, and saw an apartment building. Yeah. And each one has, like, a different element character inside. It's like, yeah. that, that would have been f- fun, nerdy movie. Or all, nerdy. every one of the, the elements. All the math, magic land kind of so, thing. And they're all ruled by the, the noble gases. Yeah. Um, the noblest of gases. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> the nobility. <laughs> we don't talk to Xenon. Uh, <laughs> so you're Xenon-phobic? <laughs> hey! There, see, look, the jokes write themselves. Hey, hire us, Pixar. <laughs> Get uh, uh, like uh, the, the Futurama people on that. They'd have a ball. <laughs> oh no, it's it's a uh, fire, earth, air, and water. Um, er- earth is represented by like dirt people, like people made of dirt sure. with like plants growing out of their bodies. Sure. Uh, air is represented by clouds. People are made of clouds. They clouds are water. Around. They're vapors. The clouds are water. The clouds in the sky are water. They're clouds of other gases. Are those gases air? Uh, Is hydrogen (laughs) air just by itself? Hydrogen is a gas. Maybe there's a hydrogen person. Uh, With a very explosive personality. There you go. Uh, we don't focus so much on the earth and air characters. It's mostly the water and the fire people. Uh, There's uh, people made of water. Mm. And living in their own corner of the neighborhood are the fire people mm-hmm. because they set things on fire. They are made of fire. Yeah. Uh, it's an immigrant story. We actually see in a, it's sort of in a flashback, these uh, two fire people who are coming to element city on a boat and they go to essentially Ellis Island where they're given a little bit more of a European name mm. and they move into a really unde- undesirable part of town. But then all of the fire people move in there. They change it around and now it's like, it's like uh, Chinatown. Yeah. yeah. They use a lot of uh, uh, Indian music on the soundtrack, but okay. the, the fire people are not played by Indian actors, played by a, a okay. rainbow coalition of actors. All right. Uh, the main character is a, a young woman named Ember, firewoman named Ember, who is uh, now the fire people have grown. They've had a child and now they've opened a shop and they intend to... Uh, Leave the shop. Leave, to her. leave yeah. the shop to her. Uh, but I saw the trailer. Yeah. She uh, she has a temper, 
And when fire people explode, they literally explode and they set things okay. on fire. Oh, is there a cameo from Anger from Inside Out? You'd think, but no. Yeah. There should be a moment where you go inside Ember's head and like mm-hmm. all of them are fire. Oh, that'd be kind of fun. <laughs> that would be cute. No, um, uh, Ember's That would actually by... be a cute gag if you did like one, like inside the inside out of every Pixar character. Well, they kind of did that at the end of Inside Out. It's all like the inside of a cat. I know, but like, but you get like all those different Buzz Light years or all those different. You oh, know, there you go. Like that'd be kind of you know, all the different Coco is like whatever. Mm. It could be fun. Yeah, uh, I, I like to spitball here. Pixar high rise. <laughs> uh, Ember is played by Leah Lewis from the half of it. Oh, great. Yeah, she's really great. Yeah, she's really awesome. Uh, she has an explosive temper. She explodes in the basement of her dad's shop the day she's allowed to look after it. So, blood at stake. Mm. Uh, she accidentally busts a pipe. Evidently, there's still water pipes running through this building. Are they with made fire of people? people in it. Well, a person comes through. There's water and there's also water people. There's fire and there's also fire people. Okay, it's a little confusing. Don't, don't, right. This is a magic world of walking fire people. Don't worry about the physics. How many times have we kvetched right. about the Cars movies? Come yeah, on. I know. It's like... <laughs> Complaining about the inner logic of a Pixar movie is kind of half the point now. I suppose so. Yeah. Okay, you can complain about that all, all right. you want then. Um, but uh, in comes uh, a character named Wade. He's the water guy. He's played by... Water uh, Mamudu Atie. I like, really like. He's really kind of how, how, Do I know him from um, He was in uh, Jurassic, the last Jurassic World movie. Um, he was in okay. Underwater. Uh, oh, I know what you're talking about now. Yeah, yeah he's yeah. cool. All right, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, he's, okay. he's a good actor. I like okay, him. Okay, yeah. Uh, and weirdly, the plot revolves around like... Like getting permits and zoning and <laughs> and a lot of like the red tape. Kids love it. Yeah, so it turns out like their building isn't up to code and she has to chase him back to the city works and he's submitted the paperwork and it's, if you can fix like a cracked dam in like this certain, certain part of the city and get like uh, uh, inspectors to approve of it, then we'll cancel the, the your building being reassessed and being torn down. It's like, that's the stakes in the movie is saving the building. It sounds so slice of uh, life, which is hilarious to me at that budget level. At that budget level like, and with this like fantastical premise. It's like all yeah. about paperwork. First of all, you're made of fire. Just burn the paperwork. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, in so doing and chasing through all of these buildings and trying to fix and you know, investigate where all of these like weird, mysterious pipes are coming from, uh, Wade and Ember kind of start falling in love. Kind of, and <gasps> but they're from different worlds. Yeah, can a water person and a fire person get along? Um, yes. It's kind of sweet. Okay. This sort of, it's very boilerplate. Okay. And, uh, storytelling, you know, the sort of like mismatched romance, you know, that we come from different backgrounds. Can we get along? It's disappointingly not that creative as far as Pixar goes, who usually tries to find a fresh angle on that kind of stuff. Mm. Like think of what they did with Monsters University, a film yeah. I really like, where it's a college comedy, yeah. Yeah, we're going to take they, the framework of Revenge of the Nerds. But then they change the message at that movie to say it's not about pursuing your dreams and studying hard. It's about discovering a version of yourself you hadn't considered before. Yeah. A skill you might not have thought you had. It's about what happens when you realize that your that your dreams need to change. Yeah. Your based dream, on your, your, your abilities, circumstances. And, yeah, and, your dreams yeah. are mutable, and I love that about Monsters yeah, University. It's actually, it's actually thematically complicated, which yeah, is cool. Um, yeah. Not so thematically complicated okay. with Elemental. And another thing that a lot of people have been latching on to, and this is kind of an issue with the movie, is I m- mentioned that... Uh, they play a lot of like sitar music and Indian music uh, when we're with the fire people and the fire yeah. people uh, don't speak 
they don't speak English. Okay. They speak fire language, and they uh, sort of drop in their own fireisms <clears throat> from time okay. to time. And uh, one of the gags is the water people can't eat the fire people's spicy food. Uh, and it's... So it's beginning to sound, and it starts to play into, rather unfortunately, a lot of stereotypes. Yeah. Uh, it's not a stereotype about any one group, but it does start to kind of mash together immigrants as a, a whole, like as a single group. Uh, whereas the water people almost universally represent essentially white upper class America, uh, which oh. is, yeah, so it is it is playing into some rather unfortunate stereotypes. That is I think. unfortunate. It, it's not brazen about it it doesn't do anything completely tasteless but it's all there it's all underneath yeah. the surface well i mean that's um, that just sucks yeah yeah, yeah. The, the, and this is clearly something because the, the director is uh, of korean descent like clearly he's focusing on his experience but when you when he starts to universalize the uh immigrant experience mm-hmm. in the way he did it it starts to yeah kind of like mash uh, sort of diasporas well, together. You, you, you lose, um, with specificity comes universality. Yeah. And if, because then we recognize ourselves in, in mm-hmm. everything. And then when you lose that specificity and you mm-hmm. just say all, all different people are like this, then you're yeah, not I, I, actually specific at all anymore. So I, I walked mm-hmm. out and I described it as baby's first diaspora. Like, this is... <laughs> It's like a diaspora story about yeah. like the immigrant experience, but it it's not specific and it doesn't mm. go so far out of its way to make the fire people sort of their own mythology. Right. They could have done that. They could they have like, given, really like their own given entire it, yeah. culture. Yeah. And they do have their own lang- like fire language. They don't yeah. speak a known earth language, but everybody in Element City does speak. Well, when you're English. using when you're using cultural signifiers that do exist yeah. in the human world, we will notice and yeah. then we will apply mm. you know, that's it's, expectation uh, or knowledge. It's like a, a lot yeah, of people's you know, complaints yeah, about those Avatar movies. They're taking a lot of iconography oh. from actual Earth cultures and sort of turning them into this, but they're blue people. A, a, amalgamated yeah. uh, alien culture yeah. that, uh, whereas the white people remain the same. You know, it's, yeah. it's kind of kind of frustrating. No, again, because they're taking a lot of in in that case, they're taking a lot of old, frankly racist colonialist archetypes of yeah. adventure stories and trying to find a way to get away with them now because you can do it with their blue because well, yeah, we don't have blue aliens, people yeah. you know like so it's so it's fine if we do it if they're, you're, they're if kind of just, you know we just invent like a different i mean it, that's that's sort of the creative idea it's like if we're yeah. making a fantasy species then we, we have can to do what we, we like, have but to perpetuate these old storytelling the tropes is, and the tropes are problematic a, a lot of, a lot of people so understand where james cameron is getting those images from in yeah. fact he's very frank about where he's getting those images from yeah. and, and and james cameron isn't of those cultures he's the Canadian guy keeps getting uh, away with it. Keeps wouldn't it be great it. if the next round of Navi in Avatar three, like wear toques and eat back bacon and play hockey and and <laughs> eat poutine and drink labats? Like they're just one hundred percent Canadian That'd be uh, funny. Navi, the Canadian yeah. Navi. Well, they're actually going to be fire people next time. Apparently, that, that's what I heard. The, yeah. like, like the desert right. Navi. So we're just time. so basically elemental just. Beat them to the punch. More or less. Just slap them. The water people are going to meet the fire people, mm. and it's going to be romantic and no, redundant. And uh, there's also, uh, because we're familiar with the way elements interact, what water does to fire and vice versa. Sure. That's also part of the physics of this universe, but also not really. They uh, And it starts to fall into that weird realm where Zootopia fell into, which is a Disney mm. animated film. Uh, animals live in a 
in a city together, but they're divided rather frustratingly neatly into predators or prey. And it's used as a racial allegory in that movie. And it doesn't really address the fact that predators do eat meat. Like that's part of the world. So you're, you're trying to stage it as this sort of like racial metaphor, but at the same time, one species is eating another species. Well, I actually, uh, it's, uh, to be fair, to be fair, I know you asked the filmmakers I, about. In this, case you're yeah. wondering, because I actually have an answer for this. Uh, I interviewed the filmmakers when this movie came out, and that was mm-hmm. one of my questions. This is a movie in which predators, they, yeah, they're carnivores. They have to eat meat to survive. That's what their bodies mm-hmm. do. Who are they eating? Yeah, and they said very cleanly, very concisely, bugs. Bugs are not anthropomorphized. In this universe, the one animal that is not anthropomorphized is mm. bugs. It's okay to eat bugs. And if you apparently, I guess if you look closely at the background, you'll see like restaurants in the back, with like bug signs or whatever oh, like okay. that. So like they never come out and say it because I don't think they want us to think about it at all. But there is an answer. Uh-huh. And for me, that ties in with the Lion King. When the Lion King <laughs> like leaves his, his civilization, stops eating antelope. And starts, starts eating, eating bugs. bugs. That's right. And I figured that's that's the moment when the entire animal world became enlightened. Mm. When they realized that you don't have to eat antelopes, you can just eat bugs. And be okay. And everyone with that, will be yeah. okay. And then the Lion King 2 came out and threw that all to hell. When Simba's daughter starts hunting antelope again, I'm like, no, you eat bugs now. Does, does so he, eat bu- he goes back to eating animals. Are all of those lions now eating bugs? No, I, I think they should. That would be they don't, they don't say I it's like did, We're not hunting the antelope yeah, anymore. Yeah, and, the, and the sequels to The Lion King, they clarify they're eating it. They're not mm-hmm. eating bugs anymore. But then that messes up with the whole, whole ecosystem. It what if there's overpopulation of the antelope now? Well, I guess that would. Like, but did, would the king now have to say, okay, now we're going to have like strict childbearing laws for the antelope now and you know what really i don't draconian. like where this is led at all this is really dark i don't now. well that's but that's the premise of utopia though isn't yeah, it if yeah. we're not you know that's so the, there's this you know. this idea you know fire and water are fire is like a threat to the buildings that these element people have built yeah so that that makes this sort of like immigrant allegory a little bit touchy little doesn't, dodgy, it? Yeah. doesn't it like oh well this they're inherently dangerous so like, all, mm-hmm. all those things might I'm be lingering in the back of your mind uh yeah. in the foreground luckily we have a pretty sweet love story yeah predictable love story but a sweet one and i like the characters and i like the way uh they deal with the emotional moments yeah. pixar is good with those emotional moments mm-hmm. there is a big sort of tear-jerking moment at the end uh-huh. where you know everything looks really dire and everybody sort of comes through in this really uh very cathartic way uh all, and the technicals are great. This is one of the mm. better looking CGI animated films. And they do have a little bit of fun with the premise. There's a scene where the, the water man and the fire woman walk up to a chain link fence. This mm. uh, uh, building has been fenced off. They walk up to it and they sort of like put their hands on the fence and look up. And the water guy walks through the fence. Because he's water. Because he's water. And the fire lady walks through the fence because she just burns a hole in it. And as they're walking off, they just say, why do they have those? <laughs> And the, I guess it's just for the dirt people. It's just for the dirt people, I suppose. <laughs> it's kind of rude, really. So right. I, I, I liked Elemental, but I did notice a lot of these these kind of problems with its ideas. It's not uh, telling a, a, ter- a terribly clean story. All right. Well, uh, now that you told us about mm. uh, this movie about a city with full of rocks, why don't you tell us about Asteroid City? Is <laughs> the latest Wes Anderson. Yeah, and I'm bummed I missed this, because I like Wes Anderson. No, uh, his last film was The French Dispatch. I think that French Dispatch might be my favorite movie of his Really? That's, uh, that's a bold statement. Why is that? Uh, it's Well, it's about... I, I guess it's because of my line. Uh, I'm a journalist, and it's about, very specifically, the death of journalism. And in The French Dispatch, in Wes Anderson's world... 
Journalism is, of course, incredibly quirky. It's this New Yorker-type magazine with really hard-hitting stories and very strange reporters who have gone out of their way over the magazine's history, and it's about sort of how the magazine is about to close, and we get to see a lot of really wonderful details about how the magazine operates, and then we also get to see the reporter's stories, so it's kind of this anthology picture as mm-hmm. well. Um, I feel like visually he's always been honing just sharper and sharper as he goes, mm. uh, and I feel like the French Dispatch was everything he's ever wanted to do visually. Well, it's, every like, different story has a different visual. Yeah, Aesthetic, yeah. there's one that's completely animated, mm. like 2D animated, which is really fun. Um, I like it a lot. I find mm. it a little unfocused, but fair enough. Yeah. If you accept it as an anthology picture yeah. about the death of journalism, then it, it really plays well. I, I can see it from me. Um, I'll rewatch it sometime and yeah. keep that in mind. Asteroid City, the visuals continue to hone, but I feel like he's stepped back into sort of that shabby territory mm. that he was with with some of his earlier movies where he hadn't quite uh, zeroed on what he wanted to do with. I feel like the turning point in Wes Anderson was the Fantastic Mr. Fox, when he finally yeah. just got to animate his characters. Yeah, I felt like he'd he been could... trying to make dioramas his whole career, and then he finally just literally made a movie out of dioramas. Yeah, so good, good. Um, and after that, it's I think it's been all... Mm. Like banger after banger for them. I, I, Isle of Dogs, uh, has except, for Isle of Do- it, except for Isle of Dogs, which is gorgeous. Yeah. It's a really gorgeous motion picture, but it doesn't handle its story well, terribly well. With, yeah, yeah, with a lot of problems. But anyway, once again, we'll, we'll okay. get to um, Asteroid City. So yeah, Asteroid City. Um, just like in the French Dispatch, there's bookend material that mm. we keep cutting back to. Uh, evidently, this is a story about a playwright who is trying to write Asteroid City for the stage. And what we're seeing is sort of like the film in his head of what his play would look like. Okay. So this is all uh, very... um, It's all very It's it's a meta-narrative. Yeah, which he's done before. And we keep... Yeah, and we keep cutting back and like sort of the actor that he cast on stage became this legend. It was also the playwright's lover. Mm. And he plays the dad in the movie version of Asteroid City. Okay. Um, And we keep cutting back to like acting workshops he's having. And all of the actors in Asteroid City are now actors on the stage for this playwright and the, those acting coaches. That, none out. of that is in the trailers. Uh, That's really no, weird. All, the, which is really odd. Yeah, this this I, is all I a big part I did not know about that at all, actually. And in fact, it's kind of here where you think this might be the only idea that uh, Wes Anderson is dealing with. Maybe he's finally commenting on how artificial his movies tend to be. Okay. Because his movies are very stagey and, uh, and they mm-hmm. tend to be about characters who ha- are focused so intently on presenting themselves in the world as in a certain way that it's become their entire personality. Yeah. So the way they dress, the way they speak, the things they collect, how they arrange their, uh, mm. their backgrounds. They're creating their own world. Yeah. yeah. That, that, that's important to them as these sort of like quirky outsider figures. Mm. If you hate that about Wes Anderson, sorry, that's all he's got. Um, <laughs> yeah, if you like that about Wes Anderson, which I do, yeah. then you'll enjoy his films. Sure. Uh, so, uh, it's, it's, it's a play within play, and his comment might be that if you're seeing a Wes Anderson movie, this is just the play in my head. Of course it's artificial. This is coming out of an imagination. Okay. Films are artificial. The idea that they have to be natural or realistic in mm. some way is a fallacy. Yeah, great. Uh, I just I just told you about a movie about animated water and fire yeah. people. So, yeah. Um, so the play within a play, the Asteroid City part, takes place in 1955. And it takes place out in the middle of uh, the desert. I think it's in New New Mexico, where uh, it's just like a little tiny town, population 87, Asteroid City. 
and an asteroid landed there and it's a, there's a big crater. It's a sort of a roadside attraction. Mm. But once a year, there's this annual uh, celebration of young science uh, enthusiast kids. Mm-hmm. They go there for a science convention and they're given awards. And then there's a cosmic event they can put on. A, it, it's sort of like a, a triple... I forgot exactly what they called it. There's like a cosmic event where they can observe three stars lining up in a way that you can't see anywhere else in the world. Okay. Uh, in the midst of all of this, there's very small human dramas. Uh, Jason Schwartzman plays a man who recently lost his wife but hasn't told his kids for three weeks and is traveling with her ashes and finally tells them. And of course, this is Wes Anderson, so nobody explodes. They're just like, oh, so dad, are we orphans now? No, I'm still alive. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and Jason Schwartzman, it's like, oh, well, so, so what happened? Where, where's mom? Well, you know, some people would say she's in heaven, but that doesn't exist for me, but you're Episcopalian. So we'll say that like they're, they're all very wry about yeah. it. Uh, he's right next door to, uh, Scarlett Johansson, whose daughter is, is also there for the, the convention and she's a famous actress. Okay. And she is trying to get into character. She's going through a lot of her own sort of relationship dramas herself. And through the windows of their respective cabins, they kind of have a conversation and start having yeah. a, a bit of a relationship. Um, uh, every single one of Wes Anderson's repertory players is here. Tilda Swinton plays a scientist. Jeffrey mm-hmm. Wright is in this one as well. Uh, Willem Dafoe shows up as an acting coach. Uh, who else has been in a Wes Anderson film? They're here. Yeah. Um, uh, Margot Robbie shows up in one, one point. Mm. Uh, all of the big stars. Mm. Uh, and wouldn't you know it, the big climactic moment is the three stars line up and then there's a green glow in the sky. And they look up and there's a spacecraft in the sky. Uh, Nothing really uh, happens on Mars. <laughs> <laughs> kind of wish Eugene Levy had stepped out. Yeah. Uh, I'm not going to say what happens, but I'm going to say that the result of this green craft in the sky causes everybody to be quarantined at Asteroid City, and they're there for months. So it's about they're mm. kind of being trapped there. They can't okay. move. Uh, relationships develop during this time. Some of the young kids start to do the um, Jason Schwartzman's son and uh, Scarlett Johansson's daughter start having a bit of a, a, a relationship. Mm. Um, the kids have all invented these really weird science fiction devices, which is a strange thing to say about a Wes Anderson movie. Uh-huh. So there's a ray gun and a rocket pack. All right. But the Wes Anderson version of those things... Yeah, I, I can literally imagine like how that the, goes. The aesthetic yeah. looks like a really chintzy cowboy painting you might see in a motel that hasn't redecorated since the 1950s. It, it looked to me... Again, I've only seen the trailer. It looked hmm. to me like weirdly blanched. It's, like, I mean, that's, that's sort of the aesthetic, it's yeah. An, it's an interesting uh, choice, yeah. I, uh, I, I, Not wa- tinted, I, I watched this with my wife. She just went on a trip to Disneyland recently, and she mm. compared it to Radiator Springs, which is the, the mm. Cars Land, where everything's kind of cartoony. Uh, clearly, all of the rocks in the background are really carefully uh, uh, constructed. If you're talking about the, the horizon being in the middle, things being boring as shit, hey, guess what Wes Anderson does? Nothing. <laughs> uh, everything's about symmetry for that guy. Well, it's yeah, but dead down the center but for that's, this guy. But that's a very specific guess. Yeah. You know, there's. I was saw uh, someone was sharing like this one TikTok, this really aggravating. You want to like stab your head into a <laughs> coat rack kind of TikTok where someone was talking about like you think you're having a bad year. Mm. No one's having a worse year than Wes Anderson because Wes oh, Anderson spent his entire <laughs> Wes Anderson spent his entire oh, career building a very specific style and aesthetic, mm. and now people can just do that 
with their fucking AI engines and just say Wes Anderson Star Wars and boom, out it comes. Everything Wes Anderson has ever done in his career is completely invalidated. <laughs> and like, we have come a long yeah. way from Oscar Wilde saying that imitation yeah. is the sincerest form of flattery to Dude. imitation invalidates everything you've ever achieved as a human being. Because somebody can recreate it? Guess what? I've, I've been reading parodies my whole life. It's, course, it, they just recognized you have a style. It's a style. Run, That's what it is. Anyway. And you know what? Having a style that people would actually want to replicate is a feather in your cap yeah, dude yeah. like say what you will it's like he's got a distinct no. aesthetic it's an aesthetic that you look at mm-hmm. and you go that's what even if you've never seen a wes anderson movie you mm. might recognize that aesthetic yeah. very few filmmakers have ever been so particular that you like tim burton is one mm. but like there aren't a lot of filmmakers in general who you can just look at and if at a, any image from their movies and know who directed that mm. Kudos, yeah, yeah, for better and worse. He's, I haven't like liked everything he's done, but it's hmm. definitely a Wes Anderson joint. You know, uh, there's a few cute meta moments. Um, Brian Cranston plays the narrator, and mm. he accidentally shows up in the wrong story at one point. Like he's narrating one half, and then he shows up in another. And it's like, oh, I'm not supposed to be in this part of the story. And <laughs> cute. He, like, kind yeah. of steps out. Uh, I'm not quite. I, I only saw this today, so I might need to sort of ruminate yeah. a little bit, maybe even read on it a little bit. But I'm not quite sure what he's getting at this time. Oh. I feel like he had some kind of uh, point with most, excuse me, most of his movies. Um, yeah. A lot of them are love stories, for instance. True. Moonrise Kingdom is a, is a love story. Absolutely, it's a love story. And, and a wonderful one. I love Moonrise Kingdom. It's a great movie. Uh, French Dispatch is about journalism. Mm-hmm. Uh, Royal Tenenbaums is about family. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm less yeah. fond of that one as most people, but uh, a lot of people like R- Rushmore is about loneliness. There you yeah. go. And a lot of his movies are about how people's individual quirkiness does keep them isolated and how yeah. great it is to connect to others. And that's a big part of Asteroid City as well. But he's trying to make some sort of comment about the mind of the artist this time around mm. and what motivates them and how a lot of like their personal lives bleed into their works. But it's not told in a very novel way and it gets so sidetracked with a lot of the science fiction stuff mm. that I'm not sure what, like how big a role that's supposed to be playing in the larger narrative. Uh, so it, it, it feels a little bit shabbier than what I'm used to with him, at least mm. storytelling-wise. Aesthetically, it's mm. impeccable. Yeah. He's moving his camera exactly as he needs to, all those 90-degree pans that he does, the, the uh, horizon-level uh, dolly shots that just sort of pan across the entire town, just a great sense of place. Love all of those chintzy 1950s aesthetics. Mm. It feels like a, a, a little bit more like his 90s stuff, where things are a little sloppier, mm-hmm. and he's trying stuff out for the first time, which is an odd, weird thing a weird thing to say, uh-huh. given that he's at this point in his career. Well, and yet, you know what? A lot of those 90s movies for me mm-hmm. are still my favorite Wes Anderson films, because I feel like some of his movies, and I, and I like his like big, weirdo, like super particular comedies, like Grand Budapest Hotels, maybe mm-hmm. his most accomplished production okay. in a lot of ways. Um, but I find that movie kind of arch and insincere, and I think his earlier sloppier stuff, like Bottle Rocket and Rushmore, and mm-hmm. to a slightly lesser extent Royal Tenenbaums, which felt like about as twee as he could go until he found out how twee he could actually go. Mm-hmm. Um, those films feel a bit more raw and emotional. Yeah, and I feel like a, a lot of his, human. a lot of his other movies are people who are having trouble with their emotions or disconnected from their emotions. And sometimes the stories are about that and it works, and sometimes they aren't and it doesn't. Mm. Um, so I'm I'm okay with some sloppiness. So right. I'm, I'm going to check this one out, obviously. Uh, and again, I just 
they had the really rough five days or so. Mm-hmm. So sorry. Um, it's okay. It's fine. It's just sometimes I don't get to see all the movies, and it, just, and it pisses me off because I want to see all the movies. I want to see all the movies. Every single movie there ever was. And I couldn't, <laughs> and it bums me out. But I will see you know this. What? And if I come up with a with a well, theory, once, I will share. Once you're it with on you. your third like vertical primate movie, maybe you want to t- <laughs> kind of take that back. Did they make three? I thought they made two of those. There was mo- MVP, most vertical primate, most valuable primate. Sorry. Then there was MVP two, most vertical primate. Right. Then there was MXP, most extreme primate. You're right. I apologize. Well, technically, there are only two vertical primates. Fine. <laughs> you can have this one. Who would win in a you fight? The most win. vertical primate or Airbud? <laughs> Why are they fighting? I don't, uh, is this a boxing movie now? No, there's a, there's a misunderstanding. It's like a superhero movie. <laughs> like Airbud got there and thought the most vertical primate was like, was like beating up his owner. It's like, no, Billy. <laughs> and, and then they fight. Yeah, of course. That's but right. like, but they throw down in like some kind of like, but like in on an, in a gray airport with no 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 because no, no. they have to, they have to do it in a sports, but they're gonna do it in like a death sport. So it's like they're gonna do like rollerball. There's no rule that says a dog and a chimpanzee can't play, can't play roller. rollerball. You know, if they make another rollerball, it's got to be that. I'm I'm totally fine with golden that. retriever rollerball. Uh, the one movie I catch the rollerball boy, catch the rollerball. We got two movies left. The next one I did see, and I know you did too. Okay, <laughs> it's a it's a bit of an about face. Uh, it's flaming hot. Flame It Hot. Uh, which is a new film directed by Ava Longoria, who it turns out is a very good director. Uh, and Accomplished it is, in TV. I think this yeah. is her first... I think it's her first feature. Feature-length film. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it is like, based on a true story. It is about... Uh, 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 ish. We'll get to that. Ish. Uh, about a man named Richard Montañez. Uh, and he's the guy who uh, was working at Frito-Lay when the Frito-Lay company wasn't doing that great. Mm. And it was his idea to... What if, hear me out here, what if we took all of your Frito-Lay products and added flavor? <laughs> and this was a big uphill battle. Mm. And then he was the one who ultimately came up with, with help, uh, the Flamin' Hot Cheeto, which is one of the most popular snack products in the world. Mm. Um and uh, the the way the movie stages it is, uh, first of all, the, uh, there's a big whole montage where he's trying out all of these different ingredients and yeah. borrowing from the whole neighborhood. Mm. Like, what were his secrets to, to making hot flavors? Yeah, his, um, his wife is, like, mm. trying every single possible combination. Yeah, it's inspired yeah. by uh, cheladas, the, um, yeah. the corn with all the spice on it. Yeah. And uh, he... Uh, tries that on the spite and then he starts selling this uh to the president of Frito Lay. Yeah. Who in the movie is played by Tony Shalhoub. Yeah. I love Tony Shalhoub. Uh, he, he can do anything. Um and the whole selling point is, well, these are uh, these are Latin flavors. Mm-hmm. These flavors are of, of my people. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's and, an untapped market. And it's an untapped market. Uh people like these flavors in my neighborhood. Put this on your chips and they'll sell wonderful. It's a, this market that you're ignoring. This yeah. huge amount of the Latino population of America and the world. Yeah. Will thank you for this. Yeah. And so it's it starts becoming about uh, Latino pride. Sure. It's, that's that's the theme of the movie. Yeah. And that's really uh, it's, it's, this is part of, of what's a weirdly big wave. Like it really started to hit in earnest this year hmm. of uh, movies about products and the heroic journey it took to bring us these products yeah this is the third i've seen and the four i didn't see blackberry i didn't see blackberry i heard heard blackberry is pretty good but we Mm. saw tetris Mm. uh which is about the creation of tetris we saw air which is about the creation of the air jordan what's the other one you're thinking of uh blackberry was the other one oh and and now flaming hot is the okay so this is the fourth one um and there there have been others besides but um there's a fundamental flaw in the premise of this 
which is that ultimately every single one of these stories has to be about how great the product is. And as a result, there's only so much you can do to dramatize it without turning it into a hagiography. Yeah. The thing that you can tell with every, at least the three that we saw, Tetris, uh, Air, and Flaming Hot, and at least two of them I think are pretty are pretty well made movies. Um, are they allowed to say anything negative about the company? Or the people within it. Mm. Not occasionally show them as being a bit of a goofball. No. Not tell a sad story that humanizes them. Are you allowed to say anything negative about them whatsoever? If the answer is no, mm. I start checking out of your movie because I'm looking at a commercial. Yeah, yeah I'm not looking at, like, this is actually well, an interesting story. I'm looking at a commercial. This goes back to what I was saying about Transformers. Yeah. Uh, that's a toy product. Yeah. It, and the people who are making these Transformers movies are just of an age where they were branded as children. Yeah. And ha- those things are what now what's important to them as adults. Yeah. It's still a product. Yeah. It never became anything more than that. Mm-hmm. And it's very telling that the kinds of stories we need, the kinds of culture we have that we're telling our movies about are the products, are the brands, the things, the, the mainstream brands, not even mm-hmm. like something that was... There was a, a film that came out a couple of years ago called A Flash of Genius about the inventor of the intermittent in, uh, windshield wiper. Yeah. Like, this Doesn't w- sound like w- an exciting story. One little tale, thing, not, yeah. not very, yeah, not a very exciting yeah. story, but, you know, the story who invented it, the guy who got, you know, wasn't paid for this mm-hmm. idea, but it's something everybody is familiar with. Mm-hmm. Somebody had to come up with that interesting detail you wouldn't think about otherwise. Air Jordans and Flamin' Hot, these are the most popular products in the world. Yeah. A corporation came up with these things and sold them to you. That's the story. I mean, again, sometimes no, they're interesting details. Yeah, I think no. Tetris actually had an interesting backstory behind it. it but. Unfortunately, the Tetris movie didn't focus on the interesting part of the backstory. I agree. <laughs> I'm just saying there was a tale to be told. I, and I pre- what I appreciate about Air, and I really like Air, um, mm-hmm. is because they actually do kind of hand-wave a lot of the bigger problems because they put them all in this one scene with Jason Bateman mm-hmm. where he says, like, out loud, this is just a shoe and I don't care. And also, we use sweatshops, and that's mm-hmm. a big deal. But I'm an 80s guy. We're all 80s guys. We don't care about that stuff. It's actually this weird kind of moral moment in the movie where it's completely dismissing all of the moral aspects I of I wish the scene um, expressed that the way you just did uh-huh. because then I would have been okay with it. Okay. Because honestly, we I get the movie a pretty positive review when it came out. I think mm. it might have even given it like our highest rating is C+. Uh-huh. Um, over time, mm. it's pissing me off more. Just because... The yeah. more I think about it, the more well, yeah. frustrating I find that movie because it's made... It's one of those movies that's made well enough that you mm. want to forgive the problems, but the more distance I get from the immediate experience of watching it, the mm. more the problems become the only thing I care about. Oh, okay. And so I'm, I'm, I think it was a little kind of that movie. All right. Ultimately, I, I see I, your I, point. There's definitely well made, but I, I, I saw it in there. I feel yeah, like uh, the, I think the, that scene expresses that in a much less. I, I feel like the filmmakers were really, way. really good about depicting a world that is obsessed with products. Mm-hmm. So if you're telling the story of a product, it makes sense in that milieu. Well, I, I thought it was actually really good about that. That's not something Tetris or Flamin' Hot has done. No, although I will uh, say this, I was thinking about this when I was watching Flamin' Hot because mm-hmm. I, I actually think. You're not allowed to say anything negative about Tony Shalhoub. You know, you're bringing up that like the like, it's hard to like break out of the role of a janitor at Frito Lay, which, well, which yeah, but like well, and I, I appreciated that that yeah, you know, and that that's part the true part of the story. Yeah. Richard Montañez was a janitor yeah. at Frito Lay and uh, did end up 
spearheading this marketing idea to market to the Latino community. Yeah, that's that's a cool um, story. But my, my point, the, the yeah. actual invention of Flamin' Hot, from what I understand, was a corporate decision uh-huh. and did go through all of the usual tasting labs and what happened. Well, have they you. do say that in the movie that they were working concurrently on a similar idea, but it allegedly, according to the movie, he uh-huh. had the better flavor profile. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, n- I, none of his story has been substantiated as my part. And this is part of the myth. Well, and then, and, but this is kind of my, my point here. And this is, this isn't really so much about the movie, which I think is entertainingly presented. Hmm. Um, I think Ava Longoria turns this into a story about cultural pride and well, largely gets good, away yeah. with it. Honestly, I think it's overall very, very like it, it deifies a, a corporate mentality uh, in a way that <laughs> yeah, probably yeah. isn't overall healthy, but overall of the group that we've had so far, this is maybe the most positive and productive one that we've had. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't think it does active harm other than maybe uh, cementing a legend that isn't accurate, but whatever. Um, you were talking about how, like, oh, we're at this point, isn't it tragic mm-hmm. that we're, like, telling these stories about these products? Well, I, and, well, I don't think it's tragic. Well, I think it's just emblematic of what we care about. Look, uh, look back at generation. Yeah, we've got a lot of biopics well, about boomer music, for instance. I agree, but here's here's okay. Well, here's my point. I I mischaracterize your point of view, but my my point of view isn't dependent on that. Um, I think that might be like a larger just indictment of where we are as a society. Yeah, that's which I mean, is that's, like that's, that's kind of what I was alluding. Which to. which yeah. is basically just like this is what we can hope for is to have a dream and to make an impact that helps a corporation make money. You, That's you the fantasy. Get, you don't get to be in charge. The corporation yeah. is in charge. And, even, uh, even if they deign to uh, give you some of it, like, no, it's not yours. You, you facilitated you, the you, corporate yeah. machine. That's and, uh, what you did in Air. That's what you did in Flame and Hot. That's what you did in Tetris. And keep, keep that's on. Phil, sad. Phil, Phil Knight is still Phil Knight at the end of, yeah. of Air. Uh, Matt Damon's character gets to keep his job in the same mm-hmm. company where he works. Yeah. In the end, the, the end of Flame and Hot, uh, Richard Montañez gets to be a marketing guy. Well, he's like vice president. Like, he gets a major... Yeah. I mean, that's... Spoiler alert. He but isn't he's, fired for creating the Cheeto. He's not yeah. forming his own company, is I my know. point. He created exactly. a, a product for another company. Yeah, and then he ended up just working for mm-hmm. that company. And and again, and, and, you know, that's, that's kind of sad, actually, mm-hmm. that that's... What we have left to deify. These yeah, are underdog heroes. Are people and, who are uh, still stuck within an oppressive system. And and this goes back to uh, something like Ready Player One. What is the theme of Ready Player One? Mm-hmm. This guy uh, has to win a video game. And mm-hmm. what does he get at the end? The game, he gets to run the game. He gets to be rich. Mm-hmm. And the bad guys are just another corporation. This is just two corporations but warring the, the, with the each other. The bad guy right? wants the game so they can add more advertising to the game. Mm. When the game is fundamentally an act of advertising because it involves incorporating a whole bunch of different IP. Exactly. So really not a lot has changed. And like the so one big the thing only, he does uh, at the end, it's like, and then on one day a week, the Oasis, this big video game, Ready Player One, we shut it all down. Mm. And I'm like, didn't you clearly establish that like people's whole economies run on that game? Mm. So you're basically shutting down the economy for one day a week, mm. probably destroying people's lives, and, just so that you can have a day off with your girlfriend? And the, and the world is like really unpleasant outside of the game. It's mm-hmm. like, uh, shouldn't this be about trying to flee this corporate machine that's invaded your brain? No, it's actually about 
continuing to be able to play it. The benevolent but, corporate machine exactly. must that, be preserved because it, which, that machine that which we corporate, serve under... Which corporate machine will win and your would, morals depend on which corporation you yeah. ally yourself to. Yeah. Uh, like, that's that's the, the idea we're You're a we're bad guy here. because you make GoBots. We're uh, a good like, guy because we make... I like uh, mighty orbots. I like Coca Cola instead of Pepsi. That makes me the good guy. Yeah. Uh, I like Transformers and not Gobots. Yeah. Uh, I like Air Jordans and not Reeboks. But listen, let's what the you are. This mm-hmm. is so emblematic of like kind of what a sad state we are in in general, not yeah. just this movie. True. That the products we consume are the all we really have to define ourselves. But you know what? That's a macro criticism. Mm. And just to focus on this exact movie, mm. which I will say this, unlike Air, it's which pleasant. has... It's pleasant. It's pleasant. It's fun. It's well acted. Air is mostly pleasant as well, but it has some elements that have just largely pissed me off more over time. Flamin' Hot, the fact of its existence is kind of the big problem. Yeah. And it's kind of deifying someone in a movie that and it might not deserve it. That's true for a lot of biopics. I don't see a lot of active harm going on here other than the weird, like, celebration of the president of Frito-Lay. Yeah. As this guy who can do no wrong and was perfect. Which isn't great and keeps this from being, like, my highest recommendation. But I will say this. uh, The performances are all really, really good. Jesse Garcia. We didn't say his name yet. Yeah, Jesse Garcia plays Richard Montañez. He's really good. He's really good. He's a great multifaceted performance. He's actually really good. He gives a lot of texture to the the character. I I feel like the actress who plays his wife is given a little short end of the stick. She doesn't Mm -hmm. get a lot to work with. Uh, I think Um, it's Vanessa Martinez, I think. Or is Um, it? I don't know. His mentor, like, on on the floor, like, the janitor mentor is played by Dennis Haysbert. He's Mm -hmm. really good. Because Dennis Haysbert's just really good. Yeah. Tony Shalhoub. So the acting is fine. It's light. It's kind of a puffball of a movie. It's a cheese yeah. ball, if you will. And uh, I'm sorry. No, his wife. His I, I mixed it up. His wife is played by Annie Gonzalez. Annie Gonzalez. Okay. Yeah. Sorry, I mixed up two. They they, they they weren't like pictures next to them. I couldn't remember oh, okay, which character yeah. was which. So my apologies. Yeah, and um, Annie Gonzalez, like she does well, but she's not given a lot. She's not given as much to do. But there, it's it's. The, the directing is fun and breezy mm. and keeps your attention the entire way through. Some good L.A. stuff this in there. This is good L.A. stuff, which I appreciate. Um, again, it's it's. I wouldn't say it's bad. It's just part of this weird wave that I think is unfortunate in its very existence. Yeah. But this is one of the better ones we've had, at least. So, kudos for that. Uh, and then finally, our last film is a Shutter exclusive uh, that you saw and I didn't, and I'm bummed because I was actually the one who said, "Hey, we should see this" because I heard it's so, really good. So I did. I knuckled under, and then, <laughs> and then you I didn't see it, and then I got sick. So, uh, Brooklyn 45. Brooklyn 45. Um, this is from uh, the director of um, "We Are Still Here" mm-hmm. and that movie Mohawk. Okay. Uh, if if you saw either of those from the last couple of years, and this is very much like a stage play. It takes place in one room. Okay. Uh, it takes place in Brooklyn, 1945. It's just after World War II. And all of these char- the characters in it, uh, let me I'll list them all. There's a um, married couple, Marla Sheridan and Bob Sheridan. They're played by Ann Ramsey and uh, Johnny Rains. Okay. Uh, Larry Fessenden is there. Yay. And Larry, uh, I, I should say that um, Marla Sheridan, the Ann Ramsey character, was a torturer during World War II. Oh, She's God. an American soldier who tortured prisoners for information. Okay. And her husband is has always been seen as like kind of a wimp who just sort of lets his wife be too, uh, the too powerful figure in the household. This is the mid forties. Okay. He needs to be more of a man. Uh, Larry Fessenden has, uh, is hosting a dinner party. He has uh, some trauma of his own. I'll get to that in a second. Okay. There's uh, a character who is all soldier. Uh, he's played by Ezra Buzzington. 
and he uh, has become very distrustful and xenophobic about German people. And he's, he saw some German people. He just wanted yeah. to kill them right there in the street because okay. that, that's where his instincts still are. Yeah. And uh, and then there's uh, uh, Jeremy Holm, who plays uh, also a soldier, who uh, is going through a bit of a, a, some parallel scandals. First of all, he's gay. He's openly gay in the 1940s, mm. which his friends know about, but nobody else does. So he has to kind of yeah. stay closeted. Right. The other is he's currently under trial because of uh, an act of war where he burned down a school with kids inside. Jesus. Okay. So uh, Larry Fessenden has called them all over for a dinner party and everybody is just full of wrath. They're just completely damaged going into the story. Okay. And the Larry Fessenden character, his wife recently took her own life. She was also giving into xenophobia. She saw German people down the street and she couldn't handle it. She just wanted to kill these people. Okay. Uh, and she took her own life and uh, Larry Fessenden is now completely despondent. He's, and after all, all these introductions and kind of getting all these characters in, masterfully done. All of the discussions, all of the way they're establishing mm. characters, the way they interact, you buy that they're all friends and they all know that they've all known each other for a really long time. Mm. But kind of difficult to do in a lot of these movies. No, it's very difficult yeah. to pull that off without yeah. it being and, uh, like you know awkward or stagey hmm. or yeah. Yeah, and that that's like the first half hour of the movie is just all this introductory stuff. And then Larry Fessenden says, "I need to hold a séance. We're going to contact my dead wife." And they all hold hands. All of a sudden, there's banging at the door. There's a closet in the corner. There's banging on it, and uh, séance stuff happens. Undeniably supernatural things happen. Okay, not a hoax. And then they let go, the lights come back up, and they don't know what's going on. And Larry Fessenden, I, I can't I want to say too much because there's actually like a couple of twists in here. But okay. uh, something happens with Larry Fessenden where uh, he's, he's removed from the story. Okay. He's not in like the rest of the story. Uh, and the other characters go to leave and they can't. The door is stuck. The windows are unbreakable. Something supernatural has happened. Okay. Uh, and then we've learned, then we learn what's in the closet. Okay. So and it's a bunch of things, a bunch of things. Uh, and I, I will say what's in the closet. It's another person. Okay. It's actually a, a German woman that's been locked in the closet. And now there comes this moral decision. Well, we had all these supernatural things. Clearly we need to sacrifice somebody to get out of the room. <laughs> Uh, and of course, all of this is born of like their hatred and their pain. Right. This movie is focused on the hatred and the pain and the xenophobia. It's not focused on the supernatural stuff and kind of forgets about the supernatural stuff for long portions. Mm -hmm. uh, it starts to discuss sort of the ethics of xenophobia. Is it justified to be paranoid? Sometimes it is and sometimes it isn't. No, actually, it never is. Actually, sometimes it is. Uh, and more than anything, it's just about the deep scar that the war has left on these people's consciousnesses. Uh, I can't talk about it too much, but I was reminded of the mm. premise of a movie called The Hateful Eight, which is done yeah. by a, a man I'm typically gen still uh, employed by, so I can't really discuss Quentin Tarantino. Are you Tarantino still technically movies. employed Still technically it? employed. Okay. Um, oh. still, still in, is that ever going to... They haven't taken their keys back, so <laughs> <laughs> if I still have keys to the theater, I'm still employed by All the right, theater. Fair um, so I can't talk about The Hateful Eight or what I think about it, but I mm -hmm. feel like... Um, this is of the, a piece. It's, it's of a piece because that movie is also about people who hate each other in an enclosed location who are still smarting from a recent war. Mm. Uh, Hateful Eight, it's the Civil War. Here, it's World War II. Right. Uh, in terms of character work and acting, this is impeccable. 
Uh, and the way the emotions progress and the way uh, the paranoia begins to increase, the way a lot of the hate is called out and then shoved back down again, it feels very relevant to the way a lot of modern politics is working. Wow. How a lot of hate is just sort of directed outward for no reason. How a lot of people are just sort of wounded and angry in ways they're not willing to confront. Mm -hmm. Or if they're willing to confront them, they don't care. They just want to lash out and uh, crave violence. It's almost something that doesn't belong on Shudder. It's almost like uh, if you... Did you see the movie Mass? Which is another one-room film no, about I discussion. Didn't, I, that, that was one, that of was those, one about yeah. like parents talking like, after like a school shooting. School shooting, yeah. yeah. The parents of, of the, the perpetrator and the victim. Yeah. Uh, just discussing yeah. the school shooting and it's, what was going I heard done. it was very, very harrowing. But it was I very good. It was, it was directed by an actor named Fran Kranz, who I'm very oh, fond yeah, of. Oh, yeah. He directed that one and yeah, directed the hell out of that yeah. one. A lot of great acting performance. All four of the performances in that movie are great. Uh, same thing here. We're dealing with really rough, harrowing emotions. Uh, in the wake of World War II, there just happens to be this one supernatural twist to it, mm -hmm. which is what put it on Shudder. Yeah, yeah. So it feels like a horror movie for little fits, but for the, the most part, it's just really intense drama wow. where people are kind of yelling at each other and getting increasingly frayed as the situation seems increasingly desperate. Yeah. And the other person adds to sort of like a wild card to it. It's like, who, who is she? What was she doing in the closet? Mm. there's a lot more con and, and again I think there's you can watch this because yeah. there's a lot more twists as to what the story what's yeah, you have not story. spoiled it you, you're saying yeah, yeah. Just um, and uh, and it doesn't leave you feeling very good huh. because it's not very hopeful about war there's not yeah. something you can just get over yeah this is actually something that's gonna leave a, a, a deep stain on America for the longest time Bummer. and uh, I appreciate that it went there Wow. I really dug it. It's, 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 yeah, really, really rough, but really good. Ah, I should have seen it. Oh, well, I will get around to it. Um, well, neat. Okay, well, that, that I don't know. <laughs> that's, all, that's all seven of our movies this week. Segway. Uh, it's time to review our movies in our review roundup. Uh, this is where we take the movies that we discussed in some depth uh, and uh, clarify where we stand. So uh, we review movies on a scale of C- to C+. The lowest a movie can get is a C-, that is below average. Those are movies we don't recommend. Uh, most movies get somewhere around a C. A C is average. There's some good, some bad, more for one audience than another. And then a C+, is a movie we just genuinely recommend, either because we think it's quite good or genuinely great. Uh, on that note, Whitney, Brooklyn 45. Uh, I'm going to give it a C plus. I think okay. it's, it's on Shudder. Shudder tends to distribute really interesting films from interesting filmmakers. Mm -hmm. So yeah, seek this one out. Uh, Flame and Hot. Uh, a C. I mean, it's not super offensive. I don't mm -hmm. like that we're getting all these corporate movies, right. but in terms of like the filmmaking and the attitude, mm -hmm. uh, even if it's not completely accurate, I did like the way the movie was made. So yeah, I'll, give, uh, it a, I'll give it a C. I'll give it a very high C. Mm -hmm. um, I think it is definitely like, it's it's entertainingly produced. Everyone did their job. It's just the job itself has some problems with it. Um, Asteroid City. Uh, Asteroid City. I'm also going to give it a C. I, again, I think I need to ruminate on this one. Try to figure out what's going on a little bit. Maybe it'll crack. But maybe, right now it feels very Maybe at the end of the year it'll focused, pop yeah. into your best of list or something. Or not. Yeah. We're, we're maybe, worst. maybe you'll, you'll be more annoyed. Yeah. Uh, Elemental. Also a C. Yeah. Great animation. Sweet love story. Mm. Not as... Uh, narratively creative as I would have liked and yeah like I said deals with stereotypes and that's an issue uh, Extraction 2 uh, I almost can't uh, 
<laughs> really low, a you know, low C. The action is fun. Really, just a low C. Just a low C. It's okay. not exciting. Fun action, nothing else. That's yeah. nothing else in this one. Uh, I'm going to give this a very high C. I think oh, uh, for no. for action fans, there's a lot that's here. Mm. Still a little empty, but um, it's a major improvement on the original. Uh, and I mostly liked it. It never. What I think its biggest problem for me is that it's really front loaded, mm-hmm. and it's just hard to be as excited by the ending when the most dazzling thing is at the front. Yeah. So I think that if they'd maybe ended as strongly as they began, it might have been a C plus. Uh, Transformers: Rise of the Machine, uh, Rise of the Beasts. Rise Sorry. of the Beasts. Yeah. Uh, I mean. Allowing that the film is complete idiocy, mm-hmm. uh, I'm going to give it a C. Okay. <laughs> well, you know, if, not, that's okay. If you want to see a movie yeah. about a giant robot gorilla smashing into shit, then you know, this, this movie's got you covered. Yeah. Uh, and then lastly, The Flash. The Flash. Uh, yeah. It, 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 sh- it shouldn't come together as well as it does. Okay. It's, it's a big old mess of a movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot I like about it, mm-hmm. but I think it's still a C-. minus. I okay. think as a whole, uh, it's like right there on the line. Like okay. it could it could have been a a great movie. It could have been a fun movie, but it, it just sort of mishandles t- just a little too much of its elements. I, I agree. It's not a passionate C minus, yeah. but it's not a great movie. I, I agree. It's not like the disaster that I think we maybe were worried about. Oh, it's about. not. No, it's not a disaster. Uh, like, yeah. but I also don't think it comes together very well. I think it's got elements that work, uh, but overall, it's a really sloppy production, and it feels like. It's serving a corporate mandate more than it is telling the story that needs to be told. Yeah. Especially in the second half where all like the real character work starts dying out in terms of just getting through incident and plot that we've seen done before, including by media with The Flash mm. and better. And um, yeah, it just it did not work for me and I found it... Um, it's a story about why it's wrong to like try to undo and change the past, which exists to be a reboot. <laughs> so yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of hard to pretend it has any actual like strength of conviction. So mm-hmm. it doesn't really work for me. Anyway, that is it for critically acclaimed this week. Next time we'll be back with a review of whatever comes out this week. Uh, I'm seeing, I've already seen a movie called mad Heidi that's coming out next week. So oh, we'll I talk about that, that one. Okay. Yeah, Casper Vendy and they're calling it Swiss Plutation. <laughs> Okay, I, you know the, you know the novel Heidi. The, the I do story, know the the Swiss Heidi. No, novel Heidi. Imagine that as like an action horror movie. Somebody did okay. that. Okay, is Somebody it made by that. the Asylum? No, okay. but you know, it's that that kind of neo grindhouse thing. Okay, fair enough. Um, I'm trying to think what else is actually coming out this week. Um, it's a, uh, no hard feelings is this week. Oh, okay, I haven't seen that one yet. Yeah, but, uh, it's a sex comedy. It is a sex. Comedy, and maybe we'll get, maybe we'll be able to catch up on a few of the things we missed. I did want to go see the Blackening. I'd heard very good things, yeah, and I just, again, I couldn't go. If, if I see something like Afterlife, which is a couple of weeks old at this point, I'm going to mm. talk about that. Hey, because it seems like it's a slightly, or excuse me, uh, Past Lives, not Afterlife. Oh, you're right. Man. Afterlife, Kurokaza Koreeda movie. That's yeah. really good too. No, past Lives been getting really, really good reviews. I do want to check it out. All right, so uh, that is it for Quickly Acclaimed. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. If you want to discuss anything we talked about in this episode, you want to take us to task, you want to correct us on anything, you want us to just answer any of your questions about anything at all, our email address is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. Whitney, what is our P.O. Box? Yeah, send us an actual physical letter to the Critically Acclaimed Network, P.O. Box 641565, Los Angeles, California, 90064. Yep, and we might read your email in an upcoming episode of We've Got Mail. A huge shout-out to all of our patrons over at patreon.com slash 
critically acclaimed network uh, where you can not only listen to all of our new podcasts ad-free, uh, but you also get a bunch of exclusive stuff, including uh, you can hear advanced episodes of our new podcast, Thank Godzilla, It's Friday, one week early. Uh, we have podcasts dedicated to every single episode of Star Trek in order. Uh, we're about halfway through season four of Star Trek Next Generation. So if you join now, there's a huge back catalog. We do commentary tracks. We do Discord hangouts. We're going to have another one of those in about a week. Um, yeah, thank you to all of our patrons. Without you, we couldn't be doing this. And if you can't afford to uh, support the show via Patreon, uh, there are plenty of ways you can help spread the word. Uh, you can leave us a review. Always helps wherever you find us. Star rating, one sentence. Be honest, if you don't like the show, it's weird that you just listened to two hours of it, but... <laughs> tell <laughs> I wanted, us. I wanted to make extra sure. Yeah, like, yeah, whatever. It really, really helps the show. We cannot express that enough. Um, and yeah. And of course, we're on Twitter, at Critic Acclaim. I'm at William Bibiani. I'm at Whitney Seibold. And that's, that's about it. So never forget, everyone's a critic. I'm sorry, what?